And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Jana Gardner. I'm Nick Fulton. And I'm Dylan Quayer. This week, we are discussing Spike Lee's 1989 masterpiece, not to give away my opinion, Do the Right Thing. <laughs> the film stars Spike Lee himself, Danny Aiello, Ozzy Davis, Ruby Dee, Richard Edson, Giancarlo Esposito, Bill Nunn, Rosie Perez, John Turturro, and Samuel L. Jackson, just to name a few. It also features the talents of many of Spike Lee's regular collaborators, including costume designer Ruth Carter, editor Barry Alexander Brown, and Spike's own father, musician and composer Bill Lee. So... I'm pretty excited to be talking about Do the Right Thing today. I think most people are probably familiar with it in case anyone has no prior experience with Do the Right Thing and is for some reason listening to us talk about it anyway. Um, (laughs) Basically, the plot can be described as the movie follows a day in the life of a block in Brooklyn on what happens to be the hottest day of the year. And um, things ensue. That's the plot. I mean, that that basically is the plot. I mean, we'll we'll talk about the plot. but it's not exactly the kind of A to B to C, you know, it's it's experiential, I will say. So I, I watched this with Nellie, and she mm-hmm. hasn't seen it before, and I, she falls asleep often in movies. I thought she would manage to stay up for this, but she was, like, super tired. She had a really long day at work. Mm-hmm. So she fell asleep about an hour in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so you just think this is a movie about a day where people are really hot? <laughs> right yeah just a just a hot day in the neighborhood yeah. that's the movie yeah, where that's all that's going on where people are hot and that's about it well i will say i made a note um we'll get to it it is it's actually at about the halfway point of the film about an hour in when someone makes a comment that the sun's going down like i in my memory had thought it was later that it was like the whole day and then mm. it just starts to get dark at like the very very end but it is it's about halfway through where the, the sun starts going down um yeah, I thought that was interesting this time. Um, yeah, so let's, I guess, get into it. I'm curious about your guys' prior experience, not just with this film, but with Spike Lee's movies in general. Um, Dylan, when did you first see this, and was this your first Spike Lee movie? This was my first. Um, I probably saw it in middle school. Um, again, like all these movies, because that's kind of when I was <laughs> going through the Ebert book for the first time. Um I thought it was super overrated and wasn't very... It was fine. I think back then I would have given it like a 3 out of 5. Um, that That's a dumb Dylan. We don't try to recognize that Dylan anymore. <laughs> Just a, this, a young, this, a youthful... <laughs> yeah, a very yeah. uneducated Dylan. I, I don't know what I was thinking because... I mean, not to spoil my thoughts just like Jana, but like this is the best movie. Period. Yeah, fair it's enough. fine with me. That's fair. So, and then Spike Lee, I don't think I've seen enough Spike Lee as I really should have. I haven't seen 25th Hour. I haven't seen She's Gotta Have It. But most of the other, like, main Spike Lees I've seen and really like. Um, and, yeah, that's about where I am on Spike Lee. So, Nick? Um, I don't know if this is the first Spike The first Spike Lee movie I probably saw was Inside Man, but I can't quite remember. Um, but I saw the. I've only seen this once, maybe. 
10 years ago ish. Um, and really liked, I mean, thought it was a masterpiece. I thought and still think it's his best film. Um, but haven't revisited it just, I don't know, for no good reason. I just hadn't until now. Um, but yeah, Spike, and I think we talked about this when we talked about To Five Bloods. Um, he's someone who I like almost everything of his that I've seen, but I still have only seen like a really small percentage of his filmography. So feel like I'm still kind of a, a Spike neophyte. So definitely need to fill in a lot of uh, blind spots. Yeah, his filmography is hu- huge. It's too. really like, He's long, just continued yeah. to work consistently. I mean, he's worked consistently for 30 30- you know, going mm. on 40 years, like that's, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. And I, I think especially some of his more recent, um, there was a stretch there where I like, I definitely did not see like Red Hook Summer or Chirac or mm-hmm. sort of, you know, a lot of those. Um, yeah, I totally forgot we talked about Spike Lee. <laughs> we talked about Five Bloods earlier this year. Yeah. It's been a very long year. Um, but yeah, so this. Actually, um, it's technically last year. The next year, year yeah. Is he the first person who's, movie who's uh like oh god how am i trying to phrase this that we've this... talked about twice yes thank you yeah. i think so because right because i don't have, we haven't really talked about um any other current we never haven't had any special talks about well i guess we talked about like nomad land a little bit but we haven't yeah. talked about mm-hmm. really many other non great movies other than the five bloods yeah. mostly i think well but... our, our next uh review though is I... going to be um our second wilder yeah. I know, and then we'll have like mo- two more, two more Wilder. There's a lot yeah, of yeah. Boulevard, yeah. And, and some like and it hot. some like it hot. So yeah, <laughs> I wonder if Wilder was Ebert's a big favorite percentage. Yeah. Wait, what Billy Wilder did we already talk about? The apartment. Yeah. Oh yeah, the okay. best Billy Wilder. Oh, yeah. It's just it's just downhill from here. <laughs> I like the apartment more than Nick, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get there. You can't subscribe um, to that. Yeah, um, okay. we'll get there. Um, yeah, so we probably talked about this a little bit when we talked about The Five Bloods, but um, yeah, no. for a long time, I had barely seen any Spike Lee at all. I saw He Got Game was the first the first Spike Lee I saw right after it came out because <laughs> um, I had a friend who was like a really big basketball fan, and it was like, hey, basketball movie, um, which it is. It's a good basketball movie, um, and I like it quite a bit. But I saw probably He Got Game and Inside Man also, but Inside Man's one of those movies that I've definitely talked to people about they don't even know it's a Spike Lee movie because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's so, you know, they're like, I think it's a Michael Mann movie or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, Black Klansman. And then I finally saw Do the Right Thing this past summer because I didn't want to go into To Five Bloods quite as blind as I felt like I would have otherwise. Um, yeah. So, and now. As, so you still got to see Malcolm? I know. I really got to see Malcolm X. That's oh, so probably good. the biggest, like my highest priority to see. Mm-hmm. Of his ones that I haven't. Um, yeah, I was watching a handful of the different special features for this, and there were a lot of clips from Malcolm X, and man, it looks really good. It's good. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. probably, uh, of the movies of his I've seen, it's, I think, pretty easily his second best. Yeah. yeah. It just sadly can't compare to this. Yeah, yeah it's it's kind of tough to top this. Um, on his 2012 ballot, Ebert didn't have a single Billy Wilder movie. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this and is he has like four of them in his like, in his book. Yeah. Yeah, in the hundred great movies. One interesting, huh? That's wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe it, maybe it's more about like consistency than like yeah, the highest yeah. of highs mm-hmm. for him, right? Like, 
Yeah, it could be. All right, so, you know, normally we'll give our sort of overall thoughts, impressions of the movie. I think we probably already did that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> big fans, yeah. Um, Huge. Yeah, it has been interesting, I will say, just sort of heading into it, that, you know, obviously um, people have been talking about this movie a lot in the past nine to or so months, you know, with the mm. protests and everything last summer. It sort of came back around, and there was a lot of, um, you know, sort of, Spike Lee, you know, people wanting Spike Lee's comments about things, and um, I feel like it brought it back a little bit more. I've seen more people talking about it and watching it recently, which is great, um, because until this past year, I knew I knew people liked it. I knew there's, like, a fact that it's uh, Barack and Michelle Obama's first date was going to see Do the Right Thing uh, at a movie theater, and I knew, like, that sort of fun factoid. That's so fucking cool. I know. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I didn't have a ton of context for it, so... Very excited. I've seen it, as you guys know, three or four times, probably. Just since, in the last, like, Just in the last six year. months or so. Yeah. it's So for a movie, and we'll talk about it, for a movie that is deals with very serious topics and um, can be sort of exhausting by the time you reach the end of it, it's just so watchable. Mm-hmm. Like, it mm-hmm. is one of those movies that one of the times I watched it, it's because it was playing on TV. And I was just like, oh, hey, look what's on. And then, you know, you just kind of want to watch it. You want to spend time with these characters and in this world, even though you know how it's going to all play out yeah, how it's gonna in go. the yeah. end. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really sort of like a hangout movie for it a is. large part mm-hmm. of it. It's, it's almost mm-hmm. like, um, Dazed and Confused or something like that, where it's just different pockets yeah. of little people and you kind of meander around between them and see how they interact. And yeah, that's one of the things that really stood out to me on my rewatch this weekend is how much it really is. You, you jump around and like I was saying, the way, the reason why you can't really sort of say like, linearly here's what happens it's like you track these different people and what happens on their day Mm -hmm. like we're obviously mostly following Mookie's stories you know Spike Lee is this guy you know young guy living on this block he's a pizza delivery guy and he sort of you know is connected to all of the different groups and worlds and everything so we sort of navigate it through his story but it really jumped out at me like how much we just jump around and so one of the things I wrote down to ask you guys was which like, who would you want to be hanging out with if you were, like, on this block on that day? Which group of people would you be spending your time with? Radio Raheem. Yeah, you'd just be hanging with him. I mean, just people, get out, about, of his way. people yeah. get out of his way, too. You're, they're not going to yeah. turn the fire hydrant on you. They're not going to mess with you. <laughs> like, Just hang out, I, I, listen I, to Public Enemy, talk about mm-hmm. Night of the Hunter. Like, we're yeah. good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a shame. So, Jana, you haven't seen Night of the Hunter, correct? I have not seen okay. Night of the Hunter. I, and we, I, th- I believe that's in this book. Um, it is. Yeah. But the left-hand, right-hand thing is from uh, Robert Mitchum's character in that movie. And it's sort of it's sort of like Body Heat and Double Indemnity. It's sort of a shame that... Um, the, one had to come first. Yeah. That, and it's not the first one. Yeah. That. I mean, I guess we could have, if we wanted to, have curated like the order that we did all these in. But, yeah. Why? Um, but it is like it would have been cool to have done Night of the Hunter and followed it with this. It doesn't really add too much, I don't think. But anyways, Radio- I think it's an interesting um, comparison of the right hand, left hand. And they both give almost the exact same speech or it's a very, very similar yeah, speech yeah. about what the left hand and the right hand mean. Um, I'm kind of be kind of similar to Nick on my pick, mm-hmm. but I'm going to take Mr. Senior Love Daddy probably. Oh. For one, it's inside. It's a good pick. As much as I love Public Enemy, he can turn Public Enemy and Stevie Wonder. Yeah, Tracy, he's got a big old Tracy Chapman poster in the mm-hmm. back. Like that's that's my jam. Um, 
Maybe mother sister. Mother sister seems like a fun person. Yeah, and she's kind of hanging out in her window on her stoop, like having a chill yeah, day. Just relax. Yeah, that's not a bad pick. Um, yeah, I didn't really have a particularly great answer. Um, I have a really soft spot in this movie for the group that I just call the kids. They don't really have a name, but <laughs> Martin Lawrence's yeah. group. Like they like that seems like most realistically what I'd be getting up to, which is just like. They're running around. I, I like when the detail, they then they're playing in the fire hydrant or they drag the one girl into the fire hydrant later and then you see her later and she's in different clothes because yeah. obviously they had done that. Um, I like them. And then I'm also very partial to like the corner guys, yeah, the guys I, in front of the wall. Like that's oh, a pretty that's good true. spot too. I didn't even think of that. I was that's, just that's about to say, I, I, I have many friendships that are just entirely in, rooted in what those guys are doing where you just sit around and like talk shit and don't do anything else for hours at a time. That's yeah. like, I I have, I would say most of my friendships are just what those guys have. So that actually may be my answer. Yeah. Yeah. That was... Especially Robin Harris in that group. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, I guess I'll sort of walk us through a little bit of what does happen in this movie. Um, wanted to do call... we need to, we... We need to talk about the Oscars first. You want to talk about the Oscars? Yeah. I wasn't sure if you want to talk about the Oscars first. Oh, are we? Oh no, we we can talk I... about the Oscars first. Let's 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 do it, man. So, um, I'm going to give you a really annoying, um, not task is not the right word, but uh, request, Dylan, which is see if you can find the clip online of um, Kim Basinger when she comes out to announce the Best Picture nominees and like stops okay. every. Well, I don't. Know, have you ever seen that? So Kim Basinger comes out and is like, we um. We've got five great films here, and they're great for one reason, because they tell the truth. But there is one film missing from this list that deserves to be on it, because ironically, it might tell the biggest truth of all, and that's do the right thing. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so on to business. She did that before she even yeah. read the card? Mm-hmm. She walked out there like and just full-on said that. And it's like pretty awkward, but obviously very impressive to be like, okay, Kim Basinger, who knew? Um, so Alec Baldwin went from Kim Basinger, who does that, to uh, <laughs> to, uh, cu- uh culturally appropriating. Oh, my God. I <laughs> did not think we'd have a hilarious Baldwin reference on this podcast. <laughs> Yikes. Um, But yeah, yeah, so just if you Google uh, Dylan, Kim Basinger, do the right thing, um, you should check that out because it's really cool. Um, But yeah, just all of that to say, big, big uh, controversy, scandal, blemish on the history of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, not like they need any more (laughs) blemishes on their decision making. That this that do the right thing was only nominated for two Oscars, um, <laughs> original screenplay for Spike Lee and supporting actor for Danny Aiello. Two extremely worthy nominations, mm-hmm. but then leaving yes. out like ten other extremely worthy nominations yeah. that could have had and did not. Ruth Carter well, did, didn't you... get. Mm-mm. How the fuck did God. Ruth? Carter... I have so much to say about Ruth Carter. Ernest so Dickerson. Much to say. Yeah, I just. I mean, just yeah, all of it. Um, no director. Who's the production designer? Do you guys remember off? I remember here. I don't know. I don't remember. Wynn Thomas. 
Okay. Yeah. Just oh. so, I mean, all of it. The the cinematography, editing, the music, all of it. Um, yeah, the costumes, like we said. Um, I mean, this was, it's a weird, it's a weird Oscar year. I mean, it's the, it's the late. Wait, do you guys 80s. have it pulled up right have, now? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have it pulled up. Oh, boy. Oh. Yeah. So, you guys know who won uh, Best Supporting Actor that year? Um, oh, yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. Uh, Denzel for Glory, which uh, you guys have seen Glory, right? Yeah, yeah, not in probably 20 years, but... Not since... I, I haven't. I don't think I've seen it since I watched it in my 8th grade history, U.S. history class. Yeah, I was going to say, it was um, since high school. As <laughs> we do. I don't know if, if, Dylan, when you were in school, if they were still doing this, but, like, there was a literally, like, Coca-Cola Presents Glory for classrooms, and it was, like, an edited version of the movie. Yeah, it was down it was, to PG. And it was definitely, like, yeah, it was specifically, I remember it being Coca-Cola Presents, because I'm like, this is so yeah. strange. Um, and this, of course, is in the era of, like, wheeling in the tv on the mm-hmm. cart with like a vhs kind of situation i mean i i had that too oh no god man schools they're behind the times um <laughs> well let's talk about school funding well, for a little bit. Yeah, yeah let's do that let's devote some time to that um Den- why is there a problem with it <laughs> no it's, I mean, it's great too much money honestly if you ask me um I mean, nobody's down. nobody's in charge of it at this very moment <laughs> yeah there's no sec- that's true no that's true this is great currently what a world um Denzel and Glory, good. Um, I've heard people sort of say that if if people maybe knew where Denzel's career was going, that they wouldn't. They would have waited. Like, they would have waited. Um, but he's really good in it. Like the, yeah. the movie, he is very good. The movie has issues, but um, he's really fantastic in it. You to so. talk about white savior movies with race issues? Yeah, yeah. Um, I sure why, what, Glory why, when I was a kid, though. What won Best Picture that year? <laughs> There's a lot of that in this one. Have Remember been, in the. Have you guys seen Driving Miss Daisy? No. Yes. Yeah, I, no, I have too. I have no interest at all. I think in... I saw it when it came out. I think my parents rented it. Uh, oh, really? My memory. Yeah, I would have been six, but I, I think I remember watching it around the time it came out. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, I remember back then I thought both uh, Driving Miss Daisy and Glory were masterpieces. Sure. I, I, sh- I mean... I, I don't know why you wouldn't if you're like a kid watching these movies in the 90s. Um, you know. Well, it was in the 2010s. Okay. okay. Well, if you're a kid <laughs> watching these movies in the 2010s. So just just in case anyone is not as obsessed with the Oscars or not staring at the Wikipedia page right now, the nominees for Best Picture for the films of 1989 were Driving Miss Daisy, Born Oof. on the Fourth of July, Oof. Dead Poet Society, Oof. Field of Dreams, and Oof. My Left Foot. You don't like Oof. Field of Dreams? Uh, no. Oh, God. So I, I like Field of Dreams and Dead Poet Society. Like, those are my basic opinions. I love those movies. Like, I'm not saying mm. I'm nominating them for Best Picture, but I've seen them both probably a dozen times, like, and would That's watch fair. them again. I mean, I've seen Field of Dreams a dozen times. Yeah. But... I mean, the only one I haven't seen is My Left Foot. Um, it's fine. I, s- I started like. it maybe, like, seven years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll finish it eventually. <laughs> Will you? <laughs> I'll probably pick up from where I left off. I'm just like, I don't know. He's like trying to get down the stairs and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to bed and maybe I'll watch this later. And uh, that is still true. Maybe I will watch it later. I got distracted figuring out what else. Oh, I was trying to figure out. I was like, what do I know Jim Sheridan from? What a weird career. Um, the, the director of My Left Foot who would go on to make In the Name of the Father, In America, mm-hmm. Brothers. He liked Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, I mean, who, I mean, hey, if you can get Daniel Day Lewis to star in your movies, yeah, yeah I'm not gonna begrudge <laughs> no, no you that. No complaints choice. there. Yeah, um, I think the best picture winners here are just like peak 
boomer ne- neoliberalism at it, at its finest. I mean, it's it's the academy, though, right? At least I until know. the past couple of years. Um, this was also, though, like, I mean, um, do the right thing aside. The 80s were not good for American cinema in general. Right. There's not a lot. Like, I think Crimes and Misdemeanors is pretty good. I've actually never seen Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. Oh, I love Sex, Lies, and Videotape, obviously. Video, yeah, but videotape. It's, You're yeah, so yeah, I was going to say, I, I, yeah. I saw that movie when I was too young, um, but I, I like it quite a bit. <laughs> let, let me read out some of the other movies that came out this year, though. Mainly, actually, just really one main other movie, but... When Harry Met Sally. I was going to say that that would probably There's, if those if that slate of movies came out now, I think that would probably get a nomination, right? I was going to say I that would, would really. Oh, it, it did. It did get a screenplay nomination. Yeah, I mean, for, a best yeah, for yeah, Afron, I mean, a best so thank God. But because I, I had to double check, I'm like, did that miss screenplay? No, it got screenplay. Um, but yeah, actually, would, I think the screenplay original screenplay is pretty solid. Yeah, when Harry original Met Sally, sc- Sex Lies and Videotape, Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm. Crimes, Crimes and Misdemeanors, which is has its people yeah like that but i think it's a good i think and it's, a good movie. it's a good it's a very and then dead poet society wins which is like yeah. of course it does what <laughs> yeah which I, I like i said love that movie but i'm not giving it over the three of the four other ones that i've seen so mm-hmm. that's not i mean i will say there's some good stuff in this oscar year um little mermaid winning for score and original song little mermaid solid got the best music of like any movie it's really um, would art Fight direction the power went to have Batman. Been... Fight the Ooh. power would have been. Um, would have uh, been. Was it eligible, eligible. or? Yep. Or it was, was it? I think so. It was okay, I wasn't sure for the was... movie. Okay. I watched um, on on the Criterion disc for Do the Right Thing. Um, they have a special feature where Spike doesn't. He directed the music video also mm. for Fight the Power, um, and he does a they, like a little introduction for it before they have the video on the on the Blu-ray as well. And he talks about going to um, like knowing he needed an anthem for the film, um, knowing that it could only be um, which call it like uh, Public Enemy that could do it. Um, wanting to go to Chuck D. He said that he went to Chuck D and it's like, I need an anthem for my movie. And Chuck D came back and something that Spike didn't like. And Spike was like, but I knew I couldn't like micromanage him and tell him how to write a song. So I just encouraged him to maybe try again. <laughs> and then he said he came back <laughs> the second time and came back with Fight the Power. And it was perfect. Um, and that, and this is a good point. You know, we talked, oh God, Dylan, you and I talked a million years ago when we were talking about that thing you do about like how important it is when a song features so heavily in a movie. Like yeah. what a difficult, if the song is annoying or not good, it's going to just totally destroy the movie. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how Fight the Power works in this movie. Like you hear it constantly. And if you hate it or it's bad, then you're it's really going to take you out. So they kind yeah. of pulled up a miracle with that song. It reminded me of... Um... In Chunking Express, when they constantly use California Dreamin' over yeah. and over again. Like, mm-hmm. it just works. Yeah. It becomes, like, a, a refrain for the movie. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Isn't that... It's like a leitmotif mm-hmm. of its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it. I mean, I guess unless there's a weird technicality, I don't know. It absolutely should have been eligible because it was definitely commissioned for the film. Um is that the best original song ever written for a movie? It's it's up there. Um, Honestly, "Under the Sea" by Little Mermaid would also be in my like top five. Mm-hmm. So that's just an insane year if both were nominated. Yeah, 
Oh, Under the Sea and Kiss the Girl were both nominated from Little Mermaid that oh, they're year. They're both so good. Um, I don't know. Oh, Randy Newman got in there with a song I don't know from Parenthood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually like After All from from Chances Are, but that's a, a very 80s cheesy movie song. Um, Never heard There's of some it. other, like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade got, you know, John Williams got a original score the abyss nomination for that the abyss is nominated for um cinematography batman winning for art direction i think is pretty cool um the original tim burton batman should have been do the right thing but sure but i mean out of the batman's batman's set direction is awesome yeah Um, lethal weapon 2 was nominated for best sound effects editing there's always some weird stuff like that cinema paradiso gets foreign language film and that's a pretty iconically great. Yeah, I've never seen movie. Cinema Parody, so but I've actually, I actually just got the uh, Arrow Blu-ray of that, oh, so nice. I'll be watching it soon. But it's the, the of, only of, one I've heard of out of that nomination. Yeah. I've seen Jesus of Montreal, and I'm really surprised that that got a nomination. It's like kind of a bizarre, weird little movie. I was but gonna I like say it. that it's one good. that sounds familiar. Um, yeah, um, I uh, I'm just shocked that. There was only one acting nomination from Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are I so many good. am and I'm not I, <laughs> shocked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. I think I would have moved Aiello to lead. Um, and, then, and then Aussie Davis would have been my best supporting actor that year. Yeah, I was going to say when we were talking about this Aussie's last night that that's, that's my other supporting, definitely the other supporting actor highlight, I think, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And now that's the kind of thing that absolutely gets nominations, like older like Ruby actor. D get, yeah. Ruby D getting an American Gangster. Right, wrong. I was going to say, speaking, yeah, Ruby D getting yeah. an American Gangster nomination however many years later, yeah. Jessica Tandy getting Driving Miss Daisy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Just shocking. Shocking. They love, they, they love nominating older folks for career achievement. That's what's so interesting about that Daniel Day-Lewis win. This is his first one. Um, and he gets it over her. I'm surprised. He got it over Morgan Freeman. Um, yeah. I, I crazy. The other really people like, him beating um, is not surprising. Yeah. But. I really like Kenneth Brown on Henry V. I was just about to say. Henry V. Yeah. yeah. I was like, That's an insanely good movie. Yeah. I like seeing all the nominations for that, too. That got director, actor, like costumes, some other good stuff. I think of all the acting nominations or acting wins here, Brenda Fricker, my left foot supporting actress. Is she good? Sure. Um, <laughs> Is that the mom? Just yeah, oh. I think so. Um, See, I don't need to watch from the beginning over know, again. I remember. I only this know bit. Brenda Fricker as being the old pigeon lady in Home Alone. Yeah, 2. I was just about to say, and she's in Angels in the Outfield. Yeah, you guys. Important fact: In 2020, Brenda Fricker was listed at number 26 on the Irish Times list of Ireland's greatest film actors. It's back, baby. <laughs> Gosh forbid we go too long. Without checking in with the Irish Times' list of Ireland's greatest film actors. Uh, good for you, Brenda Fricker. I, I, I will say, um, it's just such a interesting lineup of the supporting actress nominations. Diane Weist, Angelica Houston, Julia Roberts. Yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's a solid it's a good, company. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good list. I mean, um, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer, if you have those Baker boys. Yeah, this is... It just feels like a very typical sort of late '80s, kind of like Nick was saying, like That's true. not not exactly the high point of uh, 
American cinema, cinema yeah. American cinema years. Yeah, I'll do the right thing aside. Um, but yeah, same years. I'm sure Sex Lies and Videotaping When Harry Met Sally are, you know, not too shabby. Okay, question. Yeah. What's the best 1980s American film besides Do the Right Thing? I'd have to look at a list. I'd have to look, too. I'm, like, thinking of my favorite movies from the 80s, and it's, I mean, it's not like, it's, like, action movies, and then, is like, the Amadeus, thing, which is, is not the American. Is the technically I think American? the thing is 19, oh, technically American. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, what wouldn't it be? It's 1982. Yeah. I mean, the, the Shining, Blade Runner. Um, oh, The Shining, yeah. Let's see what else. Blue Velvet. Hmm. Amadeus would be up there like Janice. Yeah. I do really like Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing rules. That's just like, it does. I mean, especially this is, a, <laughs> this is a feature of also probably my specific age, but like the movies that I like from the 80s are like Dirty Dancing, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Top Gun. Raising Arizona. Like, <laughs> Raising Arizona, mm. sure. Raising Arizona. That's a oh, great uh, so one. Blood Simple um, is oh, a yeah. high up 80s mm-hmm. movie for me as well. Yeah. But yeah, most of the best movies I'm seeing here are the foreign ones. Yeah, yeah. Come and see Ron. Evil Dead 2 is pretty good. I wouldn't put it that high, though. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm, kind of like agnostic on the Evil Dead movies. I think they're fine, but I'm not. But Evil Dead 2 is pretty damn good. I've only seen the first who one. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Is, uh... Oh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit's great. Yeah. Aliens? Oh, yeah. Aliens. Aliens rules. We got some great movies. Yeah, but it's it's very, you know, not not your... Yeah, but we're also like, movies. we're almost done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we also went through the entire list, so... Oh, fair enough. Um, let me see. I'm sure there's a lot of exploitation movies. I feel like the peak of those and like the new Hollywood, though, like, this sort of the tail off by the late 70s and by the 80s. Mm-hmm. Oh, Losing Ground. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. That one's really good. But yeah, we are running out of options. Anyway. Sorry, I've also now gone down a rabbit hole looking at the list of the presenters for, because this Wikipedia... <laughs> I don't think every Oscars Wikipedia page has an entire list of everybody who presented, but it's fascinating. Um, Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson gave out the best picture. Warren Beatty to, again? To, I say, to apparently no controversy. So yeah. um <laughs> shows it could be done. John Goodman. This is an insanely stacked oh, list wow. of... Wow. So uh, very quickly, Kim Basinger, by the way, she was coming out specifically to introduce Dead Poet Society and just fully hijacked it for um <laughs> to talk about do the right thing. <laughs> awesome. Good for her. Yeah, that is funny. Nice. Uh-huh. All right. Do we want to? We can if anything yeah, else yeah, pops up, but we can talk about the the movie a little bit. It's the movie time. It's the movie time now that we're thirty minutes into the podcast. Um, <laughs> so, uh, just wanted to mention. Um, I every time I start this movie, I love it. It has that old Universal logo, which I really like, mm-hmm. like the '80s <laughs> Universal logo, which just uh, really puts me in the right mood to watch a movie. Um, and then has one of the best opening credit sequences of all time. Oh, just yeah. a real, real standout. Um, Opening yeah. credit sequence. My parents hated that. <laughs> they, they, were they just like confused about what was happening? Yeah, they're like, why is it going on so long? Why is she just dancing? <laughs> why is this song it's keep art. playing? Um, so the story is apparently, and we'll talk about this more later. Um, this is Rosie Perez's first movie. 
And Spike Lee, I guess, like, saw her dancing at a club in L.A. and basically was like, she should be in this movie. Um, and so he had, like, a very specific idea about what this opening credit sequence would look like and sort of choreographed it and, like, with the boxing and everything. Um, but, man, it it's good. No, it no complaints. Um, everyone should, like, take five minutes and watch the opening credits to do the right thing if you haven't seen them. Um, and then it goes straight into... Um, Senior Love Daddy, our sort of narrator of this movie, more or less, is this DJ who um, is like, it's like 8 a.m. I think you see the clock hit like 8 a.m. And he's coming on and basically introduces the the story and the neighborhood and, um, you know, does the whole like wake up. I just, I love the opening so much. Um, Samuel L. Jackson in this movie is so fantastic. <laughs> um And this was before he was, like, really famous. He'd been in things. Um, Like, he was sort of breaking out in the late 80s. But this was obviously pre-Jurassic Park, pre-Pulp Fiction, pre his sort of early 90s. Yeah, it's even... I mean, he's in the two biggest movie series of all time. Sure. Like, it's crazy. He's Nick Cave and Mace Windu. Yeah. um, But, yeah. But, like, I feel like... I did some looking around. Like, 1989, you know, he'd been in... Is he... Am I going to be wrong? Is he in School Days? I can't. I haven't seen School uh, Days. I know he's in one of the. Yeah, I think one he, of the one of the, the two Spike spikes. movies. Yeah, I think this. he's in School Days, and he'd been in like, he'd been in like action comedies. He'd been in like Amos and Andrew, and like you know these kinds of, you know. Actually, ooh, this was really early. It's really, for it's Samuel. really early for him. Like he's still he, Sam Jackson at this but, point. Right. I don't think he's in Amos and Andrew before this. Is that after this? So the only really big movies that I'm seeing here before Do the Right Thing, um, School Days and Coming to America, and that's it. Oh, Coming to America, right. He's in um, the uh, an Uncle Tom's Cabin remake, or, uh, and he's in Eddie Murphy's Raw, which is popular, but like... Right. Jeez, this is like really before. Yeah. Well, he had done a bunch of theater acting. Um, he was he was sort of a, started off as a stage guy and then lost um, a big chunk of the '80s to like terrible substance abuse problems that he has uh, talked about a lot himself later, um, which he like got cleaned up and sort of recommitted to acting and then started in these late '80s, early '90s movies and then just really broke out um, in like the second like heading into the 90s which i think is so cool mm. um but yeah it's been so interesting because he's so prominent in this movie um and yeah is basically our narrator like he mm-hmm. he sees everything i noticed a lot on this rewatch more of like you can hear him more often than i'd realized you can sort of see him in the background of scenes more often than i realized yeah. it really stuck out to me i love him where he has like the the squirty hat mm-hmm and he's squirting the windows as everyone's playing with the fire hydrant yeah. outside. Um, That's a great one. In the Ruth Carter interview I watched, she talked about how she and Sam Jackson worked together to like come up with the different hats that would all sit there. And that every time it cut back to him, he would put a different one of the hats on. Um, <laughs> and it's just so fun. Like, I love it every single time they cut back to him and he's wearing a different ridiculous hat. Um, how... What year do you think Samuel L. Jackson was born in? So I know this because I looked at or, or I heard it recently. He's in his 70s now, right? He was born in 1948. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's would, that's how old my dad is. Yeah, that's years, how old yeah. my dad is. Um, so there's this um, 
there's this 30 Rock joke. Um, I, and I can't remember. Oh, they're talking about, like, the Tracy Jordan character, and they're not sure how old he is. And um, one of the characters <laughs> asks um, uh, Tina Fey's character and Scott Adsit's character, how, well, how old do you think Samuel L. Jackson is? And one of them says 45, and the other one says, like, 75. And they're like, Mr. <laughs> and he's like, Mr. Jackson is, you know, 62 or, or you know, 65 or whatever. Um, and it, I feel like that's always been this sort of joke that it's like he's just always been around and mm. <laughs> kind of looked the same for a really long time. Uh, there was an episode of the Big Picture podcast recently where uh, uh, Sean did that to Amanda where he's like, how old do you think Samuel L. Jackson is? And she's like, he, she was like, I don't know, 58, 60. <laughs> he's like 72. <laughs> like, he's just been crazy. around forever and, and sort of didn't really break out till he was older. Um but yeah, he, glad he did though. Me too, and he's great. I, I love every time it cuts back to him. I also really love the scene when Mookie's going to deliver him the pizza, and he sort of gets distracted <laughs> out, and he's like having a conversation. You can see behind him in the window, he's like waving his arms and jumping up and down because <laughs> he wants his yeah. pizza. So funny. <laughs> <sighs> Actually, he he gets the chicken parm. Oh, that's right. It's not pizza. He... he gets the chicken parm. That is correct. Um, but yeah, so. We were introduced at the beginning of the movie to all the different groups. We talked about a lot of them. Um, the only characters we haven't really mentioned are, are Sal's Pizzeria. Um, Danny Aiello's character, Sal, and his two sons, uh, Pino and Vito, uh, John Torturo, and uh, I already said the guy's name and I forgot it, Richard, Richard Edson. Uh, Edson. Yeah. Um, and this, we see them showing up, and from the very beginning, you see the disconnect between Sal and uh, Pino, his son, John Turturro, especially, mm-hmm. who thinks he's too good for this job, too good for this neighborhood, doesn't want to be here. Um, and it really establishes their dynamic really quickly. Um, John Turturro is so good in this movie. He's, like, really, he's really, really fantastic. I mean, playing just a character that it's hard to have any sympathy for. He's probably the least sympathetic character in the movie. Like, I'm not sure mm-hmm. that we... We could talk about the cops. I'm so out. Well, yeah, but they're sure. But like, you know, they don't do. They don't. They're have not really names even. Yeah. Names, no. Like I'm trying to think. We're maybe the only time we're asked to really like not even sympathize with him, but later on in in the scene where Sal is talking to Jade and we see both uh, Pino and <laughs> Mookie. Great, like, and, and that's so the only time looks. where it's like. Oh well, they're on the same page about this. <laughs> like, I mean, this is this, this is one thing they can agree on. Um, but basically, he's just kind of the you know antagonist. He's there just to you know be a racist jerk throughout most of the movie, but gives that mm-hmm. performance dyna- like a dynamic quality that I think most um, actors would not pull off. Um, who else have we met? We we meet the Korean grocers across the street, mm-hmm. um, and we see people going in and out of there all day. Um, Ozzie Davis's character yeah. wants his Miller High Life. High Life, they only have Miller Lite. <laughs> right. <laughs> the mayor wants his Miller High Life. Um, in the good man, she doesn't drink light beer. Right. Oh, God, it's so funny. I mean, that scene, and then also the scene with um, 
uh, Radio Raheem later. In the batteries. When, when he wants 20. D, motherfuckers, D. D. 20D batteries? Like, that's, that's a, I mean, I mean, it's a huge boom that, box. I believe that it would take 20D batteries to power it, but like, I wouldn't expect a store today to carry 20D batteries at a time. Those things are like ridiculous. That boom box must be so heavy. Right? Yeah. Well, he's a strong guy. He's just lugging yeah. out things. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I do want to just quickly shout out uh, Korean Grocer Man. Mm hmm. Steve Park. I'm gonna say Dylan's favorite actor. The best. <laughs> well, not not my I favorite, know, but but using the letterbox stats, he's my highest rated actor because he's just in small roles in just the best movies. Mm-hmm. And it's just he's such such an incredible career. Yeah. And I'm very, very excited to see him. People with French dispatch oh, coming yeah. 2020. Yeah, 2021. <laughs> people <laughs> people would probably also, if they're not sure who we're talking about, people would also probably mostly recognize him from his scene in Fargo, I would guess, is yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. is his most recognizable appearance. Although, like you said, he has small roles in all kinds of movies. Um, but I feel like he, that's where he really stands out for people. Um, the only other character I don't think we've mentioned at all is um, Bugging Out, the uh, character played by Giancarlo Esposito, who is, again, so good in this he's, movie. He's really, really good in this. I love his energy. I love how much everyone makes fun of him and his hair. <laughs> I love how much he cares about his Jordans. Um, Yo! Oh, my God. Those are my new air Jordans. I think that is probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie with the, so the guy good. in the Larry Bird shirt who like you know is on his bike it's and then John Savage George. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> it's what? just where are all these actors coming oh, from oh my god and then yeah scuffs his Jordans and then they all like make fun of him and tell him to go back to Massachusetts and said he was bored in Brooklyn and that reaction oh. Oh. Um, <laughs> the, the best the, the, f- best. the thing I like about that scene though is He's living in New York. He he says he was born in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and yet uh, he's wearing a Larry Bird jersey. Which it, feel, it feels like it's aggressively white, is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. It's just it really aggressively is. white to wear because like it's like they're not even really mad. They're just like when they think he's from Massachusetts, they're more like they're basically accusing him of like gentrifying. And then when mm-hmm. he says he's born yeah. there, now they're just like doubly offended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we also haven't mentioned Smiley. Oh, and we haven't mentioned yeah. who is Smiley. I think the first character we even get in the movie with him talking about I... Martin. Oh my god! Well, and so yeah, I, I, yeah, we should mention that. So, Smiley, mm-hmm. um, played by now I need to look up his name. Roger Grinevere Smith. Thank you. Who did he pass away recently? Did he? Maybe, or did I just accidentally kill off somebody who is alive and well? No, it looks like he's still alive, okay. at least by their letterbox okay. page. All right, sorry. Thank God. <laughs> sorry. Good, for, not... good oh. for you, Roger. Oh, he was in Nate Parker's Birth of a Nation. Well, you know. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> These things happen. I'm trying to figure out why yeah. <laughs> he was in the news recently, hopefully for nothing bad. Um, who knows? Anyway, um, yeah, so Smiley is this character who... Suffers from some sort of disability. It's it's you know not not really clear. <laughs> it's not that. Yeah. No. It doesn't do a ton of detail. And the performance doesn't make it very cl- no, um, clear. No. He's yeah. He he suffers from some sort of developmental type of disability. Has sort of a, a Tourette's type um, you know way of speaking. But you know it's. I also read a little bit about how like he just really wanted to be in this movie and just sort of 
came yeah. up with the character on his own, and Spike Lee was like, okay. And it's like, yeah, that feels like it's about the level of thought that was put into this character. <laughs> yeah, it's not the best I, I, part of the movie. No, it's not say. the best. Um, I will s- I like his character. I don't oh. care for the performance is yeah. how I would put Sorry, it. Sorry, not that anyone cares about this but me, but the reason why I was looking him up recently is um, he was he is in one of my favorite discoveries of my movie watching last year he's in eve's bayou and is really uh, good hmm. in eve's bayou um and so yeah and he, he's in he's in he got game he's in malcolm x he you know he's in a lot of the the spike lee movies um, among others um yeah i will say though so the important thing about his character is that he is walking around i think trying to sell people like these little photos that he has printed out, right, is, is basically mm-hmm. it. And he has... It's the same photo. Right. It's, it's a stack of photos of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, right? And, like, we see him sort of, like, draw, like draw on them. Um, and mm-hmm. he's walking around. He designs them in different ways. Right. And so, you know, it's actually incredibly important to the plot of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really... Like way more than you're That's why expect. I don't mind the character. Yeah. Is because I think without that sort of... Yeah. It becomes in, yeah. incredibly important. Um, he's walking around with these pictures, and he's like trying to sell Mookie one. And Mookie's like, "Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll buy one later." Um, and he get paid. Yeah, he gets paid. Um, and we just sort of see him going around. Um, and for the like, for the most part, people other other than Pino, other than John Turturro, people are kind of nice to him. Like they'll tell him to just like get gone or whatever. But. Um, yeah, and so he, he has these these pictures. He at least doesn't seem like a reject. No, from the he's just of... he's just around in the community, um, and he sort of latches on to um, bugging out and Radio Raheem. Like once they <laughs> get on their mission, um, so to the extent that this movie has a plot, by the way, um, Spike Lee's character Mookie, he's a delivery guy for Sal's. Famous I think this is maybe the first pizzeria. time we mentioned the character Mookie. <laughs> I said the name Mookie. Spike Lee's character Mookie. He's a delivery guy. He lives in the neighborhood for um, Sal. Sal's famous. Sal's famous pizzeria. Um, and you know he goes around the neighborhood delivering pizza. It's um, you know we we see all the neighborhood residents, largely African American, some I think Puerto Rican uh, residents as well. And then you have this Italian family running this pizzeria. And um, what's uh, bugging out, Giancarlo Esposito's character is in the pizzeria and notices that, like a lot of restaurants, they have, like, famous people on the walls. And it's all Italian-American people. We see, like, Frank Sinatra. I think we see Joe DiMaggio, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. there are no uh, pictures of black people on the walls at all. And he thinks there should be. And Sal says, it's my restaurant. I'll do what I want. And that puts bugging out on a mission to uh <laughs> sort of try to get convince him to do it and then when it doesn't work out ultimately sort of have a um a boycott of sal's mm. pizzeria and, and well we'll get to how that all plays out at the very end but that's just sort of to the extent that there's a plot as we check in with all these different characters that's that's what's sort that's of it. yeah that's sort of it that's that's what's uh going along there um and okay Qu- question about spike lee yeah. slash mookie yes. In the billing of this movie, mm-hmm. where is Spike Lee billed? Pretty, Can you guess? I think he's pretty low, like all things considered, because I think he's basically the lead, but I'm guessing like fifth. I can't remember. I watched the credits yesterday, and I cannot remember. Sixth. Nick okay, was sixth. Uh, really close. Damn how it. does he... Um, D- how does he do? It's not like alphabetical or anything, is it? Is it just the... Um, no. Okay. First is Danny Aiello. Sure. 
than Aussie and Ruby because yeah, as you do. they're the greatest mm-hmm. people yeah, in the world. Yeah. Then Richard Edson. Sure, as a Vito, as the Vito? younger brother. Yeah. And then to And then Giancarlo. Oh, okay. Well, right. okay. Okay. And then Spike. Okay, so it is alphabetical. By the way. Aiello, oh, Davis, right. D, Edson, Esposito. <laughs> Lee, Nunn, Tatero. Oh, but and, then, the, and then it goes to and Paul Benjamin, Frankie Faison, Robin Harris. Yeah, but, but of, the, of the like top eight, it's yeah, alphabetical. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Because gotcha. I, okay. I was looking at that the list sense. and I was like, interesting. And so it works out, but yeah, he basically does the like top eight or so people alphabetical. And then I think it gets an introducing Rosie and Rosie introducing per- okay. Rosie Perez yeah. as Tina. Yeah, so she gets a she gets a special a special one. card. Good yeah. for her. Which is yeah, exactly. Very good for her. Um. Yeah. Um, oh, so should mention, uh, we see Mookie out delivering pizza. Um, incredibly famous scene, I think, that I had seen him before I ever saw the movie. He's walking down the street, stops uh, with to talk to the mayor for a second, which is what they call Ozzie Davis's mm-hmm. character. He doesn't stop. Well, the mayor stops him. Mayor like basically pulls him, him over. There. He calls him doctor. Because he calls everyone. Doctor. Okay, he calls everyone doctor. Okay, so he's calling him doctor. Um, and the mayor tells him to always do the right thing. And mm. um, that's it. That's it. Like, that, that's it. Got it? I got I'm it. I'm gone. I'm gone. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's sort of your thesis. This oh, movie is really quotable. It's really quotable. Um, and it really does break down into just like these little vignettes. Like, some are shorter, yeah. some are longer. Because after that, we get a scene I really like, which is um, Jade, who play, is played by... Jolly, who is Spike Lee's mm-hmm. real life sister, playing Mookie's sister Jade in this movie, um, sitting on the stoop with mother sister, like just these little moments that are just you mm-hmm. know, and she's combing her hair, and they're just sort of talking about life and um, how hot it is. How hot it is. Why is mother sister so mean to the mayor? <laughs> she's <laughs> basically like, I can't deal with men. Essentially, um, yeah, we just get a lot of these like little, tiny, well observed moments. Um, I'm just going through on all the moments that I sort of noted down. I already talked about the... Uh, well, the Radio Rahim intro. Right, the Radio Rahim intro Where is... there's the kids with Martin Lawrence and... Yeah. Like, they suddenly, you hear Fight the Power. And this is the first Dutch angle, I think, of the movie. Oh, yeah. It just cuts over and then it's like, boom. Yeah. Turn that camera. This is an important And character. I know, I know, Dylan, you have some notes about this, but the Dutch angles this time, I feel like they're used... I mean, they're obviously used very intentionally, um, mm-hmm. in like a lot of the Radio Rahim scenes and then also it, there's one of the scenes with the mayor and mother sister where she's up in the window I think all yeah all of the two, the two the, like the yeah. two shots of them are and all it Dutch always angles. and it's always at those opposite like Dutch angles every time and then obviously with with Radio Rahim it like you know it exemplifies actually. the shot reverse shot to become more confrontational where they're almost like making an X and staring down more at each other right. um, and just incredible use of dutch angles yeah that that's how it should be done. yeah it looks this movie just looks amazing the bright colors the dutch angles like oh. it's, it's it's not but it's somehow not too much like it doesn't feel no flashy for flashy's sake i would say no yeah um talking about the uh the the scene where bugging out um kind of starts the mm-hmm. plot yeah. well, of the movie mm-hmm. um he gets his slice of pizza mm-hmm. and he wants more cheese mm-hmm. um 
I'm gonna put out a hot take. I don't think Sal's pizza looks very good. It needed more cheese on it. He's, it did I mean, need more cheese on it. Absolutely. Also, oh, I don't like I don't like a lot of cheese on my pizza. I would take him cheese off. I'm of Sal's. I'm also just like not a New York pizza person, so I feel like I was like maybe I just don't know. Like I I don't like a, a sort of thin greasy piece of pizza, and I feel like that is sort of New York style pizza. Yeah. So I was like mm, I don't know maybe maybe it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there is, I mean, I will say people seem to like it, you know, like, you yeah. know, they, it's very you know, popular. Sa- yeah. It's very popular. Up, you're in here three times a day. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, when, when it's so cute because Sal talks about how much it means to him that people in the neighborhood grew up eating his food. And when, um, bugging out's trying to work on the, the boycott, like, no, no one wants to boycott. They want to eat it themselves. No. Like, and even the, the the girl whose name I don't know and I feel bad about, and I'm sure she has a character name, but they never ever say it. Um, the girl who's hanging out with Martin Lawrence's character, because yeah. She, yeah, she's like, I I've eaten that my whole life. I grew up eating that food. Like, why <laughs> why would I boycott this place? I want to eat the pizza. So you know, they're they're happy with it. Um, I also speaking of, I mentioned it earlier. Um, my personal favorite Radio Raheem moment is when the people at the fire hydrant run to like block it so that he can cross through because yeah. like they are not. <laughs> they they have just been yeah, and then, getting everybody with the fire hydrant. Radio Raheem's coming and they're like, oh no 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 no. Okay, so hey buddy, what's up? Like, yeah, but th- right after right after Radio Raheem goes through, or mm-hmm, almost right through, after, yeah. uh, there's a big Italian uh, man in a Cadillac. Frank Vincent, a really fantastic yes. scene uh, with Frank Vincent just and his where are these actors coming from? Coming through in his convertible. Just they made him they made him go get a shine box. They, they did yeah. go, make him go get a shine box. I watching it this time, Matt and I were talking about it and it really seems like he could have just like gone through, but like because he like because, because he was antagonistic. Because he antagonized yeah. them, they were like, fine, okay, like we'll I had a note. Brooklyn's a grid. Mm-hmm. You could have just gone a street down. Could have absolutely right gone around. And so this is a, this is probably where we should bring up the the police because I think this is the first time. This is the first time we see the them, police yeah. roll yeah. in. Um, and in this scene, it's kind of the opposite of what I think you would expect. Like you think maybe they're all they're gonna like round up these kids or something for messing with this older guy. They basically tell him to like get over it and move on. Like shut up. Yeah. Man. Like, what are we supposed to do? Like what's your problem? You you really want to. Like, What's the criminal charge? Right. They sprayed you with water. Right. And so it's it kind of throws you off balance a little bit because the cops show up and they're just like, whatever. And you're like, oh, okay. I, I do think it sort of um, shows that there's a difference between the two officers, though. Sure. Because the one played by Miguel Sandoval is really like, shut up, man. Like, just mm-hmm. go back in your car. And the one played by Rick Aiello, which is Danny Aiello's son, mm-hmm. which is really crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, he doesn't, he's more of just like screaming at these people, like, go away. You stop doing this. Like, well, if you cut, if we see you coming back, we'll come around and beat you mm-hmm. up or something. Yeah. Um, so while he's not like being like a really controlling, violent police officer, he's more antagonistic than the other one. Right. Who's more just kind of like, oh, shut up. Let's... Right. Yeah. And that definitely comes in later yeah. in an important yeah. scene. Yeah. That... That is that is a very good point. Um, I'm trying to see what else I... I have I have so many notes that it's now actually hard for me to be like, what on else did I want to... <laughs> and I mean, there, there's basically no linearity to No, this there's not. Because the... I'm like, okay, so the, we also see the cops go cruising by the corner guys. 
who we've only talked yeah. about a little bit, and we get this sort of great slow motion stare down, like where they uh, e- Ebert yeah. makes a great mention mm-hmm. of like it's they have such mutual. Uh, that's can, but like that's where it, they it really seems like oh okay this is a problem like because they like yeah. really do this slow drive by and and the the guys uh, up on the wall are sort of staring them back, um, which then of course turns immediately into the guys in the corner just complaining about the Koreans who own the market mm-hmm. and sort of have that whole conversation about, like how dare they open a market here and like it's like that 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 place was shut down and boarded up and nobody was doing anything with it <laughs> like it's, it's an interesting interesting conversation that they have the the criterion booklet to this is really thick so i haven't finished it but yeah, i started it and and i took a picture this is the only thing i like took a picture from uh, what i've read so far and it says uh one of the film's more famous sequences a handful of lee's characters each portrayed in the frame shouting out rachel slurs in mm-hmm. creative torrents direct to camera is made ironic by the multitude of accents it offers even bigotry is pluralistic here and i think that a lot mm-hmm. the, the bigotry being pluralistic in that neighborhood um we see that a lot with those guys and their mm-hmm. treatment of the koreans like not just in the shouting epithet scene but like in this scene and then later like towards the end of the riot um and it's one thing i really like about this movie is that no character is really portrayed as all good and other than the cop i would say that even john turturro's character um you know we don't think that he's good but they give him a little bit more depth at least like Mm -hmm. when he talks about his background Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so these guys even though we like them they're also like they're racist too right yeah <laughs> except robin harris he's like ah shut up i'm gonna go give the korean some yeah. of my money and get a beer yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, the best part about that scene is how it ends when he's like yeah, yeah. Be, whatever i'm going over there to buy beer now it seems like he, all three of them are like a different level of distaste mm-hmm. like the the paul benjamin character is like livid mm-hmm. that there is another race opening up a business in the neighborhood right. and they can't get any black businesses there mm-hmm. and uh the frankie Faison one's just like kind of disappointed but just like you know whatever mm-hmm. it sucks and then robin harris is just like i just want to drink beer right. like if it comes from a korean guy like i don't care yeah i do uh so. shout out frankie Faison by the way who i frankie love, Faison. so good he's great in this um great in the wire obviously um, oh. I, I know I've already bugged you guys to see it, but I will again. He is in I'm Your Woman um, in a oh, not yeah. a huge part, but like a really important one and like is very good in it. He's never a huge part no, of any movie, he just like He's a perfect yeah, character. Yeah, he's just a really, really good character actor. Um, and it just makes me happy to see him in this movie. <laughs> just like. Okay, I want, I, want, I want to give you guys a quick challenge. Okay. Can you name the three corner dudes? I do. I wrote, I so. made notes of it yesterday. This is the first time I've ever known their names. <laughs> It's ML. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's the easiest. Coconut. Besides. Something coconut and uh, something dick Willie. Yeah, it's coconut <laughs> Coconut Sid. Sid and sweet dick yeah. Willie. Sweet dick Willie. Sweet just... dick Willie is the one I remember because they have like that extended yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. Coconut Sid, do they, do they talk, I mean, they talk about why they call him ML. I couldn't and remember why Coconut they call Sid's him name. Sweet dick Willie, but I feel like coconut Sid is just coconut Sid. <laughs> yeah. ML stands for ML. Yeah, stands for ML. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. The, na- the names in this movie also are just like, I mean, Radio Rahim, Buggin' Out, Mother Sister, The Mayor, all the mayor, those guys. Yeah. Um, the Mayor. Yeah. They're so good. Stands for Drunk Alcoholic. Oh 
Was it? No, I thought but it was. You were drunk. so mean. It was drunk ass. Yeah, drunk ass. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. the kids. The yeah. kids are so mean to him. That's why I, I wrote I down that scene too. Although it does make me laugh how um, they end up like holding one of the guys back, and I was like, "Is he gonna go fight him?" Like, what? Okay, <laughs> fine. It's a little performative, kids. Um, but yeah, I. I also really even the the Italian's last name Fragioni. Yeah, Fra- Frangioni. That's just yeah, quite quite Italian. Yeah. Um, yeah, De Mayer. I will say just because I don't want to forget to mention it later. The scene I that really stresses me out is when he saves the kid, um, like from yeah. the car, and then like the mom's mean to him, and like then when she realizes the kid did. Um, like run into the street, then she starts beating her kid. It's just like a very stressful scene that I, know. I do not like. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, oh, I want this to be over. Um, which is, you know, it's good, but I just feel bad for the mayor. He's doing his best. Um, I Ruth Carter in the interview I watched with her talked about how much she liked sort of putting together his suit and how even though it's the hottest day of the year because he's like an alcoholic and kind of just like a shabby guy this is just what he'd be wearing it's all the same to him kind of thing um yeah just looks so good Mm -hmm. um we've completely forgotten to mention an entire uh sect of the neighborhood which is the puerto Ricans. yes so i might one of my notes right around here too speaking of radio raheem the one time where you're like that's one of my favorite radio raheem bits (laughs) yeah it's so good when he comes up and like they're listening to their music and then he rolls up and plays his music over it well he turns it up and they're like oh yeah and they turn their up he's like I only turn it up a third of the way. And he just, like, moves it all the way up. And they're just like, okay, oh, yeah. shit. No, no one can compete with that boombox. Like, what are... Yeah. Oh, there's no. There's no way. You're not competing with that thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like... Yeah, that... Um, that They're kind of on the... They have that one little scene there, and we see them on their stoop, and they're kind of in the periphery, although they they show up at the end in the riot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, He's one of the people in the racial epithets. And, scene, he, and so. he, gets, mm-hmm. uh, he gets a showcase in the... Which one does he do? I think he does the Korean person. Probably. Um, I sort of forget the like how it flows. Like, thankfully, yeah, I can't forget how it flows downhill. I just know it just it ends with the with Steve Park um, saying a bunch of bad things about Jewish people. Um, it's really like I will say. Um, great thing about that scene, though. Oh, one more thing. Backing up slightly, right before that scene is when we see Mookie talk to Pino specifically about sort of being racist and does the mm-hmm. whole thing where it's like, who's your favorite athlete? Who's your favorite who's actor? Your favorite who's your favorite musician? <laughs> yeah. And then like, a, Bruce, and then at first it's like, no. It's like, it's like, like no, it's Prince. Prince. <laughs> yeah. Bruce. <laughs> It's like, no, it's Prince. Um, and so it cuts right to that, to the um, direct-to-camera sort of all shouting racial up at that yeah. scene and ends with the the great back to saying your love daddy the yo hold up yo! i'm out <laughs> and just sort of like you need to cool down god and that's the double truth Ruth, yeah Ruth. yeah and right really fan and then is when we get the radio raheem um explaining to us as we sort of teased at the beginning his love hate um like hand. Let me tell you the story of right hand, left hand. It's a tale of good and evil. Hey, it was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love. These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand, the hand of love. 
the story of life is this. Static. One hand is always fighting the other hand. And the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand love is finished. But hold on, stop the presses. The right hand's coming back. Yeah, he got the left hand on the ropes now. That's right. Yeah, ooh, it's a devastating right and hate is hurt. Down. Ooh, ooh, left hand hate KO'd by love. If I love you, I love you. But if I hate you, I'll yeah. probably just edit in the the speech yeah. right here and it's a the radio Raheem and I might one? do the I was like don't don't yeah, do the, I might don't, do the Robert okay, Mitchell don't do the too. don't do the racist epithets one please yeah. oh no 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 don't throw that in I know our podcast is uh, labeled explicit but yeah but no good no, lord no thank you um it's it works I, in the context of the movie but who boy yeah we shouldn't yeah <laughs> yeah ah a little lad you're staring at my finger would you like me to tell you the little story of right hand left hand the story of good and evil H-A-T-E. It was with this left hand that old brother Cain struck the blow that laid his brother low. L-O-V-E. You see these fingers, dear hearts, these fingers has veins that run straight to the soul of man. The right hand, friends, the hand of love. Now watch and I'll show you the story of life. These fingers, dear hearts, is always a warring and a tugging, one against the other. Now watch them. Old brother left hand. Left hand hates a fighting, and it looks like love's a goner. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hot dog loves a winning. Yes, sirree. It's love that won, and old left hand hate is down for the count. I do think the scene where uh, they're talking about, like, all these people that um, Pino, Pino likes. likes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it... it it somehow humanizes Pino yeah. a lot. Um, there, and I, actually, there's another point that Pino is sort of humanized, where Bugging Out is complaining about why there are no brothers mm-hmm. up on the wall, and uh, Sal comes out with a baseball oh, bat, and he just takes and the P- baseball. P- mm-hmm. Pino's the yeah. one to be like, "We're not starting this," and Pino's like, "You're right. by far the that, most racist." You're right. One. That was because I have a note about that too, because um, this is the first time I sort of noticed it is how. Like immediately when all when all bugging outside is basically like, what's your problem? You got to get some like black people up on the wall. He goes for the baseball bat so quickly. Way too early. Like, way yeah. too early. Yeah. Like, and it really sort of noticing that this time really sort of shapes, I think, your perspective of what happens at the very end, where it's mm-hmm. like he was itching to like get that yeah. baseball yeah. Bat, bat out. Um, and this was the... He likes to defend his own right. culture. And just as much as Bugging exactly. Out does, but... But this was the first time... There's a discrepancy of where these cultures are This was the first right time now. I'd noticed that moment, where because it happened so quickly, where John Turturro, where Pino mm-hmm. basically just sort of comes around, reaches over, grabs the... Like, and you can tell it's not the first time. Like, you can tell right, he's right, like, yeah. no, <laughs> grab the bat again, get it out of here. Like, he he is trying to... It's just interesting that it's it's Pino that right. does it, and maybe not right. Vito. Mm-hmm. Because Vito, Vito did it. Vito seems... Yeah. Yeah, he was cool. Him and but, Mookie are friends. Like Mookie has a nice talk with him about trying to stand up to his brother because mm-hmm, you know, kind of mm-hmm, bullies him. That's a great him. part. Um, Can we also talk I, I, real quick about the other discussion that they have? Which one? That uh, Vito and Mookie have. It's important that we talk about that this movie is 
almost throughout a baseball movie. Oh yes, yes. He is wearing a, a throwback. We haven't Re- even Brooklyn mentioned Dodgers, the, Jackie the Jackie Robinson, Robinson jersey. jersey. Yeah, but they do argue um, over who is a better pitcher for maybe 15 seconds. Who's a better pitcher, Doc Gooden? It gets Roger, lodged in your head though. Or Roger Clemens, right? And. I think it's very impressive that, you know, this is an era before they had advanced stats and they're really just going off of wins and maybe ERA. And if by Fangraph's uh, war from the period that they both started, so they both uh, debuted in 88 or in 84, and then this movie was made in 89. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the first five years of their career from 84 to 88, Doc Gooden was the best pitcher by Fangraph's and Clemens is right behind him. Uh, like there's and they both had a half a win yeah. on both Fangraphs and Baseball yeah. Reference War. It's about as close as two pitchers could be. Yeah, but they but they did it very differently because Dwight Gooden's first two years, especially year two, is like the greatest in baseball. His, so his his and then, second and then year, he regressed. Yeah, to like I think he started to have like some of his behind the scenes problems. I don't know if he had any injuries or not too, but uh, so his his 1985 season. By uh, baseball reference, he had uh, 12.2 war, and that's just pitching war because appa- I think he had an extra 1.0 or 1.1 uh, war from also batting. That's insane. Uh, it, it's the highest war for a pitcher in the live ball era. Oh, wow. In a single season. He was tw- he was only 20. Yeah. Uh, he it's went, just incredible. He went 24 and 4. He had... Uh, I don't have his ERA written down. He had 268 strikeouts. The second in the league was Mario Soto with 214. He had more than 50 strikeouts uh, to the next guy. Christ. And he was 20 years old. Oh, my God. That's um, crazy. ERA was um, two, 1.53. Over a full – that, like, it's – it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable. Over two hundred and seventy-six innings, he had a one point five three ERA yeah, and a two point one three FIP. Yeah, so he won the Cy Young that year. He came in. <laughs> he came in fourth in MVP voting. I mean, like, I'm gonna say there's that whole I, I, people don't want to get yeah, pictures get MVPs. Wife. But and granted, it was in a different league, so it was a different class of voters. But mm-hmm. Clemens won the MVP the year after. Yeah. Yep. For for I mean, mind you. A very very good season, sure. but not yeah. not quite that good, at least per uh, per um, baseball reference. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but yeah, both were uh, really really good pitchers. Doc Gooden had such a good career, like sort of underrated. I think mm-hmm. people sort of think of his his off the field um, issues, but he still, I mean, he still managed nearly two hundred wins. He fifty three um, wins above replacement, triple crown winner. Um, Rook, it's like, it's like the Andrew Young. Jones thing where yeah. he breaks out so hard and regresses so hard yeah, way too, earlier than yeah. he should have. But it's still like Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, he's he's like not quite a Hall of Famer, I think, um by by numbers, but you definitely see where it had his uh life taken a slightly different trajectory. Yeah. Um he could have been like pretty pretty easily a, a Hall of Fame mm-hmm. uh career type player so yeah. and it's too bad um but yeah I, I think it's funny that when when you look at this snapshot in time it's it's funny that those are t- like clearly the best pitchers at the time and then their careers kind of took separate trajectories whereas Clem- clemens mm-hmm. is like maybe a top three pitcher of all time if you 
Um, Maybe a top one. Yeah, like yeah, very possibly the best pitcher of all time. You know, plus minus steroids. Um, yeah, of the era. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a great conversation. I mean, perfect pictures to pitch. <laughs> pick yeah no it's, it's a very baseball-y movie um baseball bat even aside you got the jackie robinson <laughs> yes. jersey you got that conversation and the first time we haven't mentioned much about tina um and hector um mookie's mm-hmm. girlfriend yeah. and son he's wearing a, he's mets wearing a little mets shirt a little mets hat at one point it's really cute yeah um that, just like i'm gonna be as a lifelong mets fan uh, yeah, as, there you uh, go i was gonna say uh, <laughs> nick is mets yeah. fan we're getting hard um oh, yeah. yeah um yeah we have so since we, they <laughs> Since they acquired half of my favorite, Since they took players. half your team. Um, just move right on over. Um, go Mets. Um, um, yeah, we so we haven't talked about. Also, the go ahead, Dylan. Sorry, but uh, more baseball stuff is. Uh, I get chills when at the very first scene, um, Mookie walks up to mother, mother mm-hmm. sister in the Jackie Robinson shirt, um, because Ruby D was in a Jackie Robinson biopic. Where he played, where she played Jackie Robinson's wife, hmm. and Jackie Robinson is played by Jackie, Jackie Robinson. Robinson story. And yeah. she she plays Which, Rachel Robinson in that. Yeah, that's cool. And that's it's just it's just yeah yeah to see to see Ruby D stand there next to a Mookie Spe- with a Jackie. Speaking Robinson Speaking of getting just, chills, because I have a note about this. Um, anytime, so unsurprisingly, like my one of my favorite motifs in this movie is you know there'll be a little vignette and then we'll see Mookie walking somewhere else in the neighborhood like sort of down the street or through the block and like the sort of the score will kick in that's like very mm-hmm. Americana like sort of jazzy influence um and you just have like this beautiful light to have Mookie walking through the neighborhood and all these things are happening around him and the score kicks in and it's like it feels so epic every time it happens and I get like actual chills and then he'll yeah. go to some like, and then like some comedic scene will happen after, and it'll be really yeah. funny, but it's just like, Oh God, so good. Um, yeah. And so, Oh, I was going to bring up, uh, Tina and Hector, um, Mookie's, uh, girlfriend and son who we haven't talked about a lot. They're not in it a lot. It's kind of one of the weirder parts of the movie in my opinion. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys read anything about um, Rosie Perez and her feelings about making this movie. Yeah. So yeah, we, it's, it's really, really sad. sad, and it's it's incredibly common. We don't have to sort of spend a ton of time on it, but like if you read any interview with like a young up and coming actress who made movies, especially in this time, unfortunately, they're all very similar. Um, anyway, long story short, she was very uncomfortable doing the nude scene, and basically said she cried throughout. So you know. Which is why her face, is, why her face is not shown in stretches of that scene. Um, so that's a big old bummer. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I do think I do think she's good in the movie. Um, it's kind mm-hmm. of it's not entirely a, a thankless role, but it's, she doesn't have a ton to work with. But um, I do like the portions of the movie that that she is in. It kind of exists as this separate little. Everything slows down. You sort of see what she's up to um, before mm-hmm. going back out into the neighborhood. So, yeah. yeah, I did. I actually, so I went. I was supposed to bring up the Pino and the Mookie discussion, and then we got super oh, sidetracked. Sure. But there's an interesting uh, statement that Mookie makes about Pino. I wanted to bring this up too. <laughs> okay, good. Where he says, "You know what, Pino? I think you want to be black." Oh yeah. Your hair is curlier than mine. Okay, that's so. Do you think <laughs> Pino wants to be black? 
I mean, he's. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think. I don't so. think so. I mean, he definitely. I don't think so either. Feel you know. I mean, he he's very eager. He keeps saying at least he's very eager to sort of get back to like their own kind, their own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Feels out of place here. Um, but I'm I'm not sure exactly what we're supposed to make of Pino and you know whether he's just yeah. sort of run of the mill racist or if there's something going on there. So I. I think in my favorite scene um, in terms of like John Turturro's performance mm-hmm. is I think the the next kind of significant scene that we see him in, which is him and Sal talking and he's trying to talk oh. Sal into moving right. out of the neighborhood. It's a great Sal, Sal scene too because scene. you see um, like is, uh, you know, problematic is, is mm-hmm. some of Sal's behavior, especially following this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that he does love this place he does like working in the neighborhood and it sort of elucidates also why pino is the way he is at least in part because he says he goes back home and all his friends like make fun of him for for working in an all-black neighborhood so he's he's in his own way like sort of receiving the racism that he's then passing on to the black community that he works in right and we also get i we also sort of get a very typical um, or very often told story of sort of the frustration of someone who feels like they're forced into the family business in a way. Like he right. feels, you know, mm-hmm. there's sort of a couple references when he's like, this, you know, this will be the family business forever. And you can just tell that. Yeah. Sal's and sons. Right. And yeah, that sequence where, you know, it's just like, you know, you can tell this is not, right. it's not his dream, at least not to operate right. it in this way. Um, yeah. I, I really, really love that. There's one too. point at the end where he's like, I'm going to change the name to Sal and yep. Sons. And you know, just, just Pino's face yeah. is like, oh, okay. But whatever. that is, that's the scene where Sal talks about how proud he is of mm-hmm. being a fixture in the community mm-hmm. of, you know, feeding, of, you know, the kids growing up on his food. Um, I can't remember if it's, it's a little bit before then where we see the, the sort of like, just the cute scene. Oh, it's right. Cause bugging out comes and yells at him. But uh, when he's like selling, like, I think just like a, shaved ice or something to a girl through the, like a, a young girl through the window and it's like you can see him having these positive interactions with the community and then yeah fucking out rolls up and starts yelling at him again but he doesn't roll up he like pops <laughs> <That's right>. up. <laughs> god everything he does is so funny um i will tell you dylan right here um assuming that my notes are somewhat in chronological chronological order that pino and sal scene comes right after the um senior love daddy roll call sequence that um I know you wanted to mention where he lists out all of the artists that um, just mm-hmm. the most incredible list of artists yeah. ever. Yeah, that, that he plays he, on the radio. He really has the right music going. Yeah, um, I'm not going to read it all, <laughs> but I might. I might, you edit might put some of that the, in there. Yeah, yeah. It's I, yeah. I started to sort of take the notes down, and then I didn't. But it's that's a very good moment as well. Um, it's fun to try to like figure out who your favorite artist mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so th- this is right sort of at the the halfway point I was talking about where the sun starts going down. Um, we talked about Radio Raheem buying all the batteries. We also see the mayor go to buy the flowers for Mother Sister, and yeah. he buys oh, the entire thing of flowers, even though it's expensive. That's the best scene. And then takes the flowers to her. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really lovely scene. A, also, can I, I have a question? Okay. Oh, you go first. Okay. Uh, so the scene, that, the line that you were talking about from the Pino and Mookie scene is actually not the one that I thought you were going to say. Um, oh, the one that wonderful. I thought you were going to say, because I have uh, like just a real quick point about this, is um, right after he says like your hair is mm-hmm. um, like kinkier than mine or whatever. Um, he says, you know what they say about dark Italians? 
and that's very much like a uh, famous scene yeah. from the Tarantino uh, scripted True Romance. Mm-hmm. And I that stuck out to me, but also earlier on, the three guys um, who, who hang out in front of the, the brick wall, mm-hmm. um, one of them says, they're talking shit about Mike Tyson, and he says, if Mike Tyson fights me in a dream, he better wake up and apologize, which is a Harvey Keitel line in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, interesting. So those are, those are two things that Tarantino wrote in the early 90s following this that are just totally ripped off from this yeah same that's so funny well do you know how spike lee feels about quentin tarantino not positive not a fan (laughs) no i think he's trying to sue him for those lines (laughs) i mean i would believe or he's at least spoken out very strongly about that's i just watched reservoir dogs too like i I was wondering like when you said that line i was like because i've as as many times as i've seen this movie i've seen reservoir dogs a lot more and so when you (laughs) said that line i'm like yeah i remember like i think of harvey Keitel saying the line you shoot um, me in a dream you better wake up and apologize yeah it is the, is the yeah exactly um yeah i will say speaking of the mike tyson thing too like there's the the big mike tyson mural that's up on the wall mm-hmm. um and this was pre all the really terrible mike tyson stuff right i mean i don't um, know i honestly oh, don't God. know yeah. Yeah. um i feel like i mean well, it was definitely pre him um biting off a dude's ear so that that wouldn't yeah. happen for another uh five or ten years but yeah um yeah interesting stuff um there is another oh another scene i wanted to bring up um there's a mook the mook well we didn't really talk we mentioned briefly uh the jade and sal sort of friendship uh <laughs> <laughs> Nick did not knock, knock his microphone over. Uh, we, not even a little. We mentioned the the Jade and Sal friendship, which like, which is nice. I mean, he like obviously has like a little crush on her or whatever. It seems mm-hmm. it does seem pretty harmless, but um, Mookie and yeah, I, it, I think know we're not uh, Ebert mentions like it's something that uh, Sal would never express right. in something besides it, a slice right. of pizza. Right, and Jade, you know, and I, yeah, it's it really seems fairly harmless. Um, but we do get a scene where Mookie is like pretty rude to Jade about it and tells her to like stop going to Sal's and not not talk to him anymore. And she does not take that very well. Um, pretty, very rightly. Exactly. No, no, very rightly. I like I like their scenes. I like their. I mean, they obviously have a good brother sister dynamic. Um, you know yeah. that comes across in the movie really well. Um, yeah. Oh. Also around this time, I just have like my notes are so scattershot. Um, we talked yeah. about the the little boy running out in the ice cream truck and everything, but I like the Piraguas guy comes through also with the the, the shaved ice. Um, yeah. Have, have either of you guys seen the play in the Heights? Seen the musical? I've um, listened to it, but not seen okay. it. So one, so one of the characters in that movie is the Piraguas guy who like is sort of comes through um, and and has a whole song and everything. Um, and seeing it in the in the movie yesterday made me sad that I have not seen the In the Heights movie, and God knows <laughs> when I will be able to do so. Um, but apparently, like a real New York thing um, that is not very relatable to me, but looked like some delicious shaved ice, so that looked good. And then it's basically nighttime. Talked about the bad sex mm-hmm. scene. Um, the other... The other Pino scene that's really good is Pino and Vito like wrestling in the back room of the yeah. the shop. I, I like that 
scene of I mean they end up having a pretty nasty argument but I just like how that scene is shot with them like in that back room and like the swinging little lamp and everything um I love that it cuts to that first because it shows just like how much fighting has gone on before we see exactly resolution yeah and the you know to the extent that we haven't mentioned this explicitly you know the the whole theory of the movie basically is that like when it's super hot, you know, tempers run high and everybody gets more and more aggravated and they fight more. Um, I think uh, Sam Jackson's character says that at one point and we get a shot of like the newspapers, you know, when it shows and it's mm-hmm. like, it is hot. You are miserable. <laughs> like it basically is just like it's beyond everyone's control. Their temperatures are running high and tensions are running high. Um and that the concepts from an Alfred Hitchcock presents. Episode. Oh, really? That's yeah, cool. he said in one of the bonus features. I didn't get to watch all of them, but he says he saw something when he was six, and he wasn't sure if it was a Hitchcock presents or a Twilight Zone. But the the theme of it was like after it gets above like ninety five degrees, everyone like your your uh, proneness to sure. <laughs> committing murder goes up. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, yeah, and so then now, now that it's after dark, um, we get the um, pizza parlor. Well, we didn't talk about. Um, well, yeah, we get the pizza parlor closing up, um, and um, ugh, that scene made me so deeply sad this time for some reason in a way that improved. Which one? When he's closing up the pizza parlor, and Sal actually has the line like, "This is terrific. We had a great day today." Oh, we had a great mm-hmm. day. Yeah. Oh my god! Like. And is that is that the same scene where he tells Mookie like you're always gonna you're have like a, place a son here. to me you're yeah like a son to me. it's just like it's the most like he really feels like they had this great day you know this, that's where he's mentioned Sal's and sons and Mookie you'll always have a place here mm. you're like a son I know we don't always get along but you're like a son to me um, and then the kid the kids show up wanting some more pizza and here's like Sal and his most like kind heartedness being like. Oh, yeah, okay, and if, if they wouldn't slices. have opened the I, restaurant back I know. up. Like that, yeah. If, that's like, he's like, just four more like, slices. It's st- it still could have happened, but... It wouldn't have happened like, you know. No. Yeah, because as, as, as soon as they open the door and the kids get to come in um, and just get their four more slices of pizza, that's when uh, Radio Rahim and Bugging Out, who we'd already seen sort of on their way to march over there. Um, and Smiley. Yeah, and Smiley, who's, who's linked up with them, um, come over and... You know, this is the shot there. Dylan, is this the part you listened to where they talked about the Dutch angles specifically cutting yes. back and forth? Um, well, no, there, there was a there was a Spike Lee sort of describes why he did this, i.e. like the Michael Stewart murders. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just watching it that time. I was like, oh, it's interesting how the Dutch angles aren't just shot reverse shot, but angle reverse mm-hmm. angle. Mm-hmm. So it really um, ratchets up the, yeah, you feel it's like extra oppositional as opposed to just like the two angles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's on, it's an unsettling thing mm-hmm. to see like a Dutch yeah. angle because we're so unused to it, right. which is why like, I don't know how much direct influence he maybe pulled from something like the third man, but that's mm-hmm. like oh, the, sure. most, yeah. the most Dutch angle yeah. <laughs> movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to narrate the entire uh, fight sequence that happens because it's extremely unpleasant. Yeah. But Radio Raheem, you know, he this is when he takes the baseball bat out. He smashes the uh, the boombox and sort of. Well, he calls them a certain word. Does. Yeah, he... Does. Yeah. Um, and it 
it also like it ramps up to that where he starts off with a like more i guess acceptable it, you know <laughs> i what know I mean. what you mean yeah like, um, he's sort of just like where he's, he's just more he's, like angry yeah, about the loud just, music like, rude at first like yeah. he calls it jungle music yeah like yeah. clearly good. racist yeah. it's but he's building up to mm-hmm. to like yeah. dropping the n word and then yeah. and so th- there was actually a really big disagreement between Spike and Danny Aiello on set mm-hmm. cuz Danny Aiello was like I'm not saying that word I mean I and Spike's like got to do it Sorry man Yeah Yeah I yeah I I don't I don't blame him like <laughs> I can see why he was like I would really rather not do this um, I think there were also disagreements, though, as to Daniel Aiello didn't seem to think of Sal's being racist, which I th- yes. which is in- think yeah. is yeah, I, I, which interesting. Yeah, it's it, it very much reminded me of the um, uh, the what's the guy's name the the dad from uh, Get Out. Oh, Bradley Whitford's uh, character. Bradley Whitford. Yeah, yeah it, he would have voted for Obama. Would have voted times. for Obama yeah. a third time. It very much reminded me of. Uh, that line specifically yeah like yeah. even even though you're like a son to me and then he immediately starts othering the black customers who walk it, into, exactly into his shop like he he doesn't he would never think of himself as a racist and would think of i think pino is either a racist or um act acting racist right. and he would he would maybe even say like i don't yeah, I, he would maybe even say like, "Oh, even though Pino is saying these things and acting this way, he's not racist. He's just acting out or right. something." He would find a way yeah. to excuse, excuse it. Excuse it. Yeah. Um, whereas, I mean, Sal's Sal's racist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that, and as much as Sal's racist, like he's still a good person. He's got a good heart, but, but he's racist. He's, he's a racist, racist person. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, oh, and so one thing that I, I wanted to mention because it becomes really important here we talked about Mookie wearing the Jackie Robinson jersey throughout most of the first half of the movie halfway, halfway through. through he goes home he takes a shower <laughs> he takes these two hour lunch breaks they talk about he goes home he showers <laughs> he comes back and now he's finally dressed for work and he's wearing a Sal's pizza shirt but it really you know and Ruth Carter talked about this a lot in the interview I watched with her but it was so important to really put Mookie in the center of what was going to happen at the end here that he's wearing he's finally wearing his work uniform he's wearing the sal's pizza mm-hmm. shirt and he's sort of like dressed to be on that team um mm-hmm. you know going into this final confrontation so that when everything happens it makes his choice feel even more dramatic um in that context um so yeah he sal lashes out he's the n-word uh, break, takes the baseball bat out, breaks the radio, and then a fight ensues, and him and Radio Raheem fight, which th- those are both two dudes I would not want to be in the middle of a fight between oh, those no. guys. Like, it's super intense. Um, I think both of them would kill Yeah, them, like, like so second. fast. Um, and of course, like, the cops come really quick. Like, the fight, it starts in the pizza place and sort of quickly spills out into the street. Um, the thing I like found really upsetting this time was how I didn't realize how often it cuts back to my favorite character whose name I don't know the girl um who's just like screaming Mm -hmm. like stop 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 and like she's like she's like it's she she feels scared she's screaming it goes out into the street um and the cops show up very quickly and we get the restraining and death of Radio Rahim I think it is important to note that um so those the, those kids mm-hmm. with the with the girl and Martin Lawrence, um, they were like the first ones to be like bugging out. Shut the yeah. heck up! Like I'm not gonna boycott. But as soon as like Sal starts like 
raising oh. his voice and screaming these epithets. Yeah. At oh, yeah. Radio Raheem. They're like, fuck you, Oh, Cell. yeah. They jump like, into the, the fray. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important that they're there because they were like the first ones to have rejected. Right. Mm-hmm. That they, yeah, that they were sort of fine. Yeah. They were, they're, you know, cool with Sal. They like the pizza. Obviously, they're the ones who showed up asking for pizza. And then, yeah, it devolves from there. Um, we see the cops come. It's the, it is the cops, like Dylan, you mentioned from earlier, um, with the sort of, uh, including the one played by Rick Aiello, whose name is Gary, I think, um, because as he, you know, they restrain Radio Raheem um, and choke him ultimately to death. And you you hear the other cops, you know, saying, like, Sh- Gary, Gary, that's enough. Him. Gary, stop, man. Like, you know, they don't really do anything to stop it. They sort of, like, pathetically right, are like, no. Gary, that's enough, man. You can stop. And, like, he, as, this person's as he's killing somebody. Life yeah. out of. So the one thing that's come up on the news a, a lot that I think this scene reflects is that it's not just um, the one cop who does it it's that there are other cops who don't do anything um really of any consequence to try to intervene Mm -hmm. like the guy could have stopped his his cop buddy from murdering Mm -hmm. someone it would not have been hard for him to do anything you know him shouting at him is not going to make him stop like he he could have intervened in some way Mm -hmm. and he chose not to and i think this movie like it's it's incredible that you know this movie's I can't do that kind of math. 31 years mm-hmm. old. Yeah. 32. It'll be 32 this year. Mm-hmm. And it's still the type of thing that we saw like last summer. Right. It, it caused. I mean, George Floyd is. Yeah. yeah. The George Floyd and Eric Gardner are both things where it's just like the video is one person violently choking someone to death. And other people. And these other people nothing. just standing around like, yeah. Yeah, mm, you know, like go away. The, cotton, just like, Did Jesus. either of you guys see the, um, the short film that Spike Lee put together? Three brothers. Um, no. over the summer no. he, he basically and it, it's not online anymore from what I can tell um, but he basically edited together footage of the Eric Garner and George Floyd murders with the Radio Raheem murder and like sort of edited yeah, it yeah he did bring that up in one of the commentary yeah. checks and so and that for a while like, he posted it it was online over the summer and I, it, I don't think it's there anymore um, but yeah I mean it's it's it, I mean, it's just beyond obvious. Like, it's it's truly, it's it's hard to even sort of know what to say about it because it's so just blatant. Um, and the other thing that really sticks out, aside from the fact that the other cops don't actually do anything to stop it, is how quickly they jump into action to cover it up, too. Like, it's the other mm-hmm. cops who are immediately like, get them in the car, go, go. Like, you know, yeah. once it's done, they they just act immediately to try to cover up what's happened. Yeah. And so, yeah, um... You know, right after that, we get a sort of brief melancholy moment. Like, it, 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 everything sort of stops for a second, which is what I, what I think is so interesting. It's not like from that sort of the riot immediately breaks out. Everything kind of stops for a second. We get this, like, really um, sort of long pan shot of all of our characters sort of commenting on what's happened. Um, you know, he was... Relating it to Michael Stewart and Eleanor yeah, they, Bumper. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they call out the names um, of people that have been murdered in this way before. You know, we're... And it, I think it also shows, like, all the different types of people, like... Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people liked Radio Rahim specifically oh, in this community. Oh, sure, yeah. Like, the the three old guys in the corner, whenever Radio Rahim comes around, they're just like, ah, turn the, that shit the, off. The Puerto Rican and, Or the, the Puerto Rican yeah. people that they had the boombox for, but they're in that moment, like, fuck this. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, because they say, like, we're not safe even in our own neighborhood. And then, um, yeah. you know, it's the we never it never was, never will be. 
Um, they didn't have to kill the boy. Like, it's just, ugh, um, it's a lot. And that's when it, it cuts mm-hmm. to, after that whole pan, it, it pans over in front of Sal's, and Mookie is still standing there. And it's it's Sal and his sons and Mookie all standing together. And Mookie, you know, walks across, basically. And leaves. Leaves yeah. and, and goes, you know, sort of. And that's that's when Sal literally says, you do what you got to do. And um, which they do. <laughs> Sal. I know. It's like there's there's ways yeah. to de-escalate. I mean, there might well there may have been ways to de-escalate the situation. It's it, you know, who knows? Um, but that was not it that was if the, you were going to try to do that. so. Like Yeah, and that's And and DeMayer is just like he just wants everyone to go home. E- even yeah. he's still trying to Right. He just is begging everybody to please. You go can't home. de-escalate after right. that. Exactly. Well, because until like Jan, I, I guess you've seen this more recently for the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, where did you think this was going? Like at that point, did you think that the crowd was going to turn on Sal? Because yeah. it really, they do a good job of making it feel that yes. way. Like, yeah. like Sal's going to get killed. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, the, you know, the thing is I, I knew, like, and so what, what happens immediately next is is Mookie picks up the trash can and, and throws it through the window and basically starts the riot, which I'd seen that clip a million times. Like I knew, like okay, I knew, okay. I knew Mookie was going to do oh, that, okay. but like, I didn't know, like in terms of like the, fi- I didn't know, like for all I knew, he was going to throw the trash can through the window and that was going to be the climactic in- <laughs> incident. You know what I mean? Like that was the end of the, the riot. Um, I did not know. Like it's scary. Like it, it's like you said, it's, they really pack it with so much tension. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, he throws the, the trash can through the, the window, everyone goes pouring in and just sort of starts tearing the place totally apart, mm-hmm. you know, and just like ripping it apart entirely. Um, I do think it's important to note, um, the trash can mm-hmm. when he says hate, mm-hmm. um, it cuts and it does the cut twice. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's one other part in the movie where it does a double yeah. cut. Um, do you guys I, remember what I it is? Noticed it this time, but I didn't remember. I don't remember what scene it was. Nick, I, they I show the I, same thing twice. I have the same. Yeah. yeah, I have the same thing. Is it something with uh, Tina? Yeah, it's when he and Tina kiss when he comes. Okay. Home. Yes, that's what it is. So there it is. Love and hate. Yeah, and hate. Because yeah, I remember with the Tina scene this time, I did the thing where I thought like my. Blu-ray had skipped. <laughs> like when it does the double cut like mm-hmm. that, I'm always sort of like, what? <laughs> it's funny that you thought that the Blu-ray had skipped uh-huh. and maybe this shows how uh, we're different people because I thought my brain had skipped and I was like, <laughs> did I just... <laughs> There's a glitch in the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've done that too where I'm like, did I... What? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it does the it does the double cut and I, I never noticed that. That's really interesting that it's basically yeah. love and hate as the, the two yeah. emphasizing. And make sure to really points. emphasize the two points where Mookie is at his most loved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Filled with love, filled with hate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the riot starts and then um, it's Smiley who starts the fire. Yeah. Smiley yeah. burns it down. Yeah. yeah Smiley. Um, starts, starts the fire and the whole thing burns. Um, and um, they try to, you know, they're they're once it's burning, everyone's all keyed up, and they turn towards the um, the Korean grocery the across the street, and um, like they're gonna go there, and then they're standing <laughs> out front defending their store. Um, Steve Parks waving this big old like sidewalk through. I'm I black. know. I'm black. Um, and one of is it? I can't, I can't remember which of the corner guys it is. Like that does calm everyone down, and that like. Tell. It's Frankie, it is Frankie Faison. Faison. Yes. I, I did, I had ML, which is important because 
it's he and ML are the main ones that start walking towards right. it, and so you think like, oh, it's gonna go back because ML, right? Because they, yeah, yeah. But then Coconut uh-huh. Sid is like, he's like, no, yeah, this is not, this is not worth right. it. He just says he's all right. Like, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's yeah. leave the Korean alone, yeah, man. He's all right. <laughs> he's all right. Yeah, and then. But I mean, like, as as much as they might distaste that there's someone of a different race uh-huh. in their business, it's different from. Someone that started a riot with a black person right. that led to someone being yeah. killed. And I, I do think it's important to note mm. um, when they put Radio Rahim in the car, um, there's people like slamming and begging mm-hmm. on the car. And the last person that's running the most with the car and hitting it is uh, Steve yeah. Park, is, is the Korean guy. You he's the last one to be hitting it. Yeah. And so he, I, he's just enraged. But then there's a part where he's just like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then, of course, is when the police show up in earnest with, like, their riot gear and, mm-hmm, like, the big mm-hmm. trucks and everything and the fire. Uh, the firefighters are in. I always forget. Show up, yeah. yeah. I always forget how long the scene it is. It keeps it's just, going. Um, it's, it feels like a horror movie. Well, yeah, and they, they end up turning the, ho- you know, they turn the fire hose on the crowd. It's oh like a very God. loaded image. Yeah, there, yeah. there's, like, a freaking fire going on there. They'd rather spray yeah. the black people that are mad that and, they and got right. killed. speaking of it feeling like a horror movie the part to me that's like the most obviously is like at the end of basically at the end of the sequence um it there's the shot of mookie and jade sitting on the curb like just looking completely devastated and then mother sister just like starts having a total breakdown oh it, it's it's crazy when there's like a cut to mother mm-hmm. sister who's just the most like i'm just gonna right, sit she's on just my been chilling and no one's gonna bother me yeah and then just and in the middle of the mob it cuts to her and she's just like burn it down burn yeah. it down and then she's just like and, and then she's just totally screaming. screaming and yeah the mayor has to sort of like hold her and Call help her keep her from falling yeah. down yeah exactly um yeah, that's that's setting. that's where i cried because i mean yeah that's the most intense it, like i think the whole scene is just so like shocking mm-hmm. and draining yeah but when it's like they finally have to start coming down mm-hmm. from it it's just like it's just so right. sad. And then the, the final, final scene of that sequence, um, right after Mother, Sister, and, and Demayer's, like, comforting her, is it cuts back inside of, um, of Sal's Pizza, and mm-hmm. <laughs> Fight the Power comes back on, and Smiley um, finally hangs a picture of black people on the wall of uh, the I pizza. Know, like... He puts the Malcolm and... Mar- uh, ML, uh, MLK picture on the wall, and that that just kills me every time. Like yeah. as it's as it's running, I almost like forget it's gonna happen. You're like so enthralled with what's happening outside, and then it cuts back in, and you're just like, oh god, um, yeah. And then I do think it's also important to mention during the fight there is one picture mm-hmm. that they have on the wall with a black person. Oh, is there? Mm-hmm. It's a white Italian boxer beating the crap oh. out of a black. Oh, I, yeah, they do cut to that. You're right. They I, they cut to it during yeah. the brawl, and it's just like I do remember them cutting to that. It's like okay, yeah, um, yeah. And then we kind of get this ending, like epilogue, basically of the day this after. This makes the movie, honestly. Yeah. Oh, this is so important. Yeah, because it really would have been easy to end it there. Right. Yeah, um, but we get uh, cut back to senior love daddy. Um, which is like my favorite cut to him in the movie. The um, today's weather hot. Wake up! Um, it's so good. Um, we see Mookie waking up with Tina, and they 
and, and, and Hector. Hector. <laughs> Poor old Hector. He sleeps Which, through the whole. He his whole role in the movie is just to kind of sleep through people screaming, like in yeah. every yeah, many season. Scenes. But so Spike was like that. He cast twins As for the do. role of Hector. Yeah. Just yeah, because it's like if one of them starts getting fussy, yeah, like you can just kind of throw the yeah. other one in there. And he was like, that mother had them on sedatives because they 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 were they they were just asleep the whole time. He's like, we couldn't wake up up That's to so act. Funny. Because <laughs> it does kind of stand out where it's like, you know, th- th- that kid is just, just eyes closed. He's sleeping out. Throughout. Because we didn't even talk about like one of the earlier Tina scenes, her and her mom are screaming at each other and he's just asleep yeah. during that. He's asleep during this. Um, but yeah, so Mookie wakes up and, um, it's, you know, that's when he's like, I got to, he's going to go get paid. He's going to go get his money. Um, and Tina's kind of. But th- there's one more other wake up scene, and it's, oh, it's my favorite. Yeah, so it cuts to Demayer um, waking up, and Mother Sister is there with him. He took her yeah. home. He made sure she was okay. Girl made sure she was okay. So, do you. There's the scene where Ossie Davis uh, talks about his life, and he had he had a wife, he had children, and because he couldn't find any work, he was starving mm-hmm. them. Does it ever cross your mind that Mother Sister might be his ex-wife and i think i i I don't think Mm -hmm. it's true but the fact that ossie davis and ruby d were married for they were married 50 60 like i can't get it out of my mind that she and she has a mother sister she has a line about an ex-husband um and that earlier scene with jade where she's talking like her life and her Mm ex-husband that would be a weird um like sort of like secret twist of the movie if like they they were actually a couple and no one ever talks about i'm very glad it never like (laughs) said it but it's just something every time i watch the yeah. movie and i think it's just because i can't yeah. separate aussie and ruby sure. playing a couple right. i think maybe they're just supposed to be coming like they both have regret like these regrets and yeah. these life experiences um you know and they have the line now where um you know i hope the block is still standing we're still standing like i mean i think we all felt right. that at many points right like exactly where it's yeah <laughs> going to sleep in the summer and being like i hope i don't log on twitter ne- yeah tomorrow morning it's just like all this right all the, yeah i mean and even i mean earlier this week even my yeah, yeah. goofy neighborhood which over the summer like boarded everything up like ever for there were like a mm-hmm. couple of weeks where just every storefront you know in freaking west los angeles was boarded up because you know mm-hmm. people didn't know it was gonna happen and even though it was ridiculous where i am um but yeah no it it feels very real um and then we do get the final um mookie sal scene that 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 that, and that Mm. is what's so important i feel like that final yeah it's so so important i love when it cuts out of mother sister's house and it does like a a a pan Mm -hmm. and like a really quick pan it lands on mookie Mm -hmm. and mookie's got like this he's got all this uh like five o'clock mm-hmm. shadow he's like his beard's yeah. growing out and he looks so much older yeah. he does he looks like very it, different it, the next day um and it's like yesterday really changed mm-hmm. him yeah yeah and he goes and has a conversation with sal um you know about that's basically you know having the sort of conversations people had over the summer about like loss of property versus loss of life and how do you equate those things with one another yeah, my favorite line, I think, in the entire movie really is uh, when he says, motherfuck a window, Radio Rahim is dead. Mm-hmm. And e- Ebert even notes this in his review where he says, like, 
somebody, yeah, Joe Klein in New York Magazine laments the burning of Sal's pizzeria, but fails to even note that it follows the death of a young black man at the hands right. of the police. Yeah. And that's kind of and like I will the note, point. Of the that's movie. the entire point, yeah. <laughs> I will note, like, he has his pizzeria burned down, but he also destroys Radio Rahim's right, radio. Right, yeah. And a radio is not equal to the pizzeria, uh, but they're, they're both symbols property. of each other's like yeah. culture and like Im- like yeah. those are like the most important things yeah. to these people. Right. Um, it's like it's like burning to mayor's yeah. beer. And but, and um, and Sal, you know, when he after that line that Nick quoted, and you know, Sal try you know tries to sort of stand up for himself and is like, I know, you know, I know he was dead, I was there, and all this stuff, but he still. You know, Mookie makes the point about like you have insurance. Like, what what is this yeah. conversation we're having? Basically, like, Danny Aiello is just perfect. He's in really this. good mm. in that scene because, like, I built this fucking I mean, you, place. Uh, you know, and he sells it like you feel his sense of loss. Obviously, yeah, yeah and yeah. like it's it's gen it's valid yeah, that he feels was, a sense of loss. It's, it's just, just like, like you can't. That's not the the someone <laughs> right, died. Someone right died. There, so what are you gonna do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you said you do what you got to do after right, this. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, Nick's face. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, Mookie yeah. wants his money, and he, like, throws the money at him, and, you know, it's they sort of fight over that, and then Mookie ends up taking the money. Cause, yeah, know. that's the other thing it's I love really... is that uh, Mookie, like, does the sort of prideful thing where mm-hmm. he, he throws He'll two of the hundred back, right. and he goes, I, I, I owe you 50, 50. bucks. Yeah. And at the end, because he throws he throws fifty instead of two fifty. Well, right? he throws two hundred back. He throws five hundred. He throws two. Yeah. yeah. Well, first Sal throws right. five hundred, and mm-hmm. Mookie throws two hundred back and I'll says, "I owe you fifty because because exactly. it's two fifty for the yeah. week." Um, but then he he pretends oh. like he's not going to take it. And and then at the end, you take it. No, you take it. You take it. No, you take it. Yeah, at the end, of course. I think Danny Aiello just looks at him. He's like, at the end, Mookie picks it up and walks away. Your whole movie, you've been asking to get paid. Like, right? You're not gonna leave the money. He needs. We know he needs money. Um, and yeah, as as Mookie walks away, um, you know, we get sort of this long shot of the neighborhood. Cut back to Sam Jackson to our DJ narrating that the mayor has commissioned a blue ribbon panel to look into what happened, you know, here last night. And it's just like, of yeah, course. it's this very sort of like, yeah, obviously, and it's like. And I think the way he says it is like the mayor's commissioned a blue ribbon panel to investigate the destruction of Sal's pizzeria. You know, it's not to look into mm-hmm. the person who died. It's to uh, look into the destruction of the pizza place. Um, and then. I like where he says, I hope the mayor uh, comes around to see our our to mayor. Right, exactly. I like that, too. <laughs> maybe they can drink over a beer yeah, or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe the mayor can come, yeah, have a chat with our to mayor. Um yeah, and um, it fades out to um, a pair of quotes from Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. about the use of violence in protesting. And, of course, back to the picture of the two of them that's been a recurring motif throughout the movie. Um, what a stunning closing. Yeah, a really, really phenomenal closing. Um, I'm going to put Nick on the spot and ask if Nick wants to tell his story about (laughs) these two quotes as they relate to this movie. Yeah, so this is, you mean like my letterbox review? Yes, yeah, just basically your letterbox review, yeah. Yeah, so I was in a program in high school called the International Baccalaureate Program, which is, it's sort of like AP. Yeah, it's like AP AP classes, and then um, you also have to do like either 
like volunteering community type stuff or extracurriculars at mm-hmm. school. And then you have to do like a science project and you have to write a thesis. So for my thesis, um, and I'd written, I had to write a thesis for like English too. And I did really well in the English part of the test. And then I actually did. I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, even though I sort of am. <laughs> I, I actually, <laughs> but I think it's important for context. Uh, like I did really well in the English um, and I did, uh, I, I scored a perfect on the history part of the exam. So my, hu- so my humanity skills weren't sh- shoddy and that's important because. <laughs> important context. <laughs> because the context is for my thesis that I had to write, it was comparing and contrasting and trying to like basically solve who is more likely like which um route is a better route Mm -hmm. for somebody who's trying to enact change is it martin luther king jr's or is it malcolm x's and i i went like i did so much research for this paper i read like over a dozen books just of like the ones that they wrote so like the autobiography going in did you have an opinion do you remember? Not really. I actually wasn't that familiar with Malcolm X at the time, which is part of why I wanted to do this. So I read mm, like the okay. Alex Haley autobiography of Malcolm X, and then I read a bunch of other things um, from each of them. And I ended up getting like not a terrible grade on the paper, but you can like score extra points for like different things. And I got like, I think the minimum passing grade or something like that. I'm like, come on. Like I worked my ass off on this paper. I don't understand why, uh, like, what did I do wrong? And it wasn't until years later that I sort of have come to the conclusion that it was because uh, my paper argued that Malcolm X was right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, like, it was graded by someone who didn't see me. Like, I don't want to um, d- judge too hard, but mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, it's, a paper that they're reading that's saying, <laughs> you don't want to that say, say yeah. that maybe they uh, made some assumptions about you and gave you a yeah. crappy grade that is uh I, you know i do want to say it i i'm nearly certain that that's what happened no. yeah yeah um i yeah it sounds about right especially because i mean when when we were in high school um you know not well, yeah, basically 20 years ago. Um, yeah. You know, it was it was like super controversial. Like, I mean, maybe it still yeah. is now, but like, yeah, like the, there was still this concept of like, well, Martin Luther King, he, he did things the right way. Like that's yeah, what yeah. you know, Malcolm yeah. X, nah, he, he had the wrong idea. See what happened, you know. So that's not surprising. That, I mean, that's just conventional wisdom, basically. Yeah, yeah. And my paper is basically saying like, it's a nice idea, mm-hmm. but it's not as yeah. effective as using violence for the means of self-defense right like he's not mm-hmm. he's not proposing terrorism which i guess was like one of the things that i learned in reading this is mm-hmm. he's he's not like doing it no. like domestic terrorism or things like that it's it's like pretty basic it's mm-hmm. it's what <laughs> most people would, would do, do yeah. and go yeah sure of course right. um yeah so yeah that was uh i i felt like once i sort of like I and I don't remember like when I sort of came to that conclusion about that paper but it made me feel so much better because it was something that I worked <laughs> so hard on and like I got years like such wondering a, what went wrong I got such a not like a an atro- like not like a failing grade but I'm just like I put so much effort into this and I didn't have anything to show for it where did I go wrong because they don't give you any feedback 
and um, I feel better about it now. Yeah, I'm very I'm I'm excited for you guys to see uh, One Night in Miami like soon. That should Me be too. that should be available soon, right? Like I think so. I cannot um, wait. It's not as a whole. It's not one of my favorite movies of the year, but um, like Malcolm X in that the and I'm. Kingsley Benadire, I think, is the actor who plays Malcolm X yeah. in that movie, and he's fantastic. And I, I think it's a really, um, great. I haven't seen the movie Malcolm X, um, but considering that he's just one of an ensemble, I think the movie does a really good job of sort of showing his character and where he's coming from and his family and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for you guys to see that, and we can talk about Malcolm X some more. Um, Where's that coming? Is that? Uh, I think Amazon? it's Amazon. Yeah, and I uh-huh. think it'll be on yeah. Amazon. I think by the end of the month, right? Does that oh, sound? by the fifteenth. Yeah, I think so. so oh, hey, okay, true. Next week, um, and then and, and not to shock mm-hmm. you, Jana, but uh, Spike Lee does a really good way of presenting. Yeah, yes, too. It, it's it's quite. <laughs> I, I've heard. That's, yeah, very good. <laughs> um, no, I I just mean that in in a movie that's not specifically a Malcolm X biopic. Yeah. Um, it's you know a a good portrayal, um, and especially because we, well you'll see when you see it, but it's that movie's almost from the perspective of someone who's skeptical of Malcolm X, and so you sort of get this. Uh, it's interesting. Thanks. Um, the only last thing to mention, and we already brought it up a little bit, is that after the the final the final sequence with the quotes and the picture, we do get a screen saying specifically that "Do the Right Thing" is dedicated to the families of Eleanor Bumpers, Michael Griffith, Arthur Miller, Edmund Perry, Yvonne Smallwood, and Michael Stewart, um, all victims of police brutality. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's a lot. Um, I will say I, I told you guys last night uh, after like watching I, I I I revisit American Utopia a lot to go back and watch mm-hmm. that. Um, You're gonna get basically the but same. But you thing. do, yeah. But what I did is I put on American Utopia starting with um, what you talking about, about and or how you talking about, and then going through to the end. So I sort of got the whole mm-hmm. like um, sequence. But yeah, it's uh, it's a lot. Um, Odds and ends. We already talked about the Oscars of this movie. Um, in the grand tradition of just bringing up absolutely bonkers bananas movie lists, I don't know if you guys saw on Wikipedia that um, Do the Right Thing um, came in 22nd on Entertainment Weekly's list of the 25 most controversial movies of all time. Um, and Wait, what? Okay, we need to go... <laughs> What? Well, uh, hold on. I, I, it, this, this only exists in the Wayback Machine, so I will send you the link to this list. Is, this okay. list is from 2007 of the 25 and... most controversial movies of all time. And okay, wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Okay, 24 is Caligula yes. by Tinto mm-hmm. Brass. Makes sense. Super right. violent. Super sexy. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Orgies, yeah. what have you. Number 25, though, is Clements and Musker's yes. Aladdin. Yeah, well, they had to rewrite that song um, because uh, the, the opening the opening song of Aladdin, which... Uh, yeah, but... Yeah, no, you'll, you'll see the standard by which things um, qualify for this list as controversial is, is truly hilarious. Uh, I just saw number one. <laughs> I jumped all the way to number one. So... 25, okay. Aladdin, oh, Bonnie racist Clyde, lyrics. 24, Caligula. It's Caligula. 23, Kids. Um, kids Kids is pretty controversial. Haven't seen it. I've heard it's pretty intense plot-wise. 
the mm-hmm. right thing, which I didn't know um, until like doing research for this movie and watching all the Spike Lee special features, is that like people really thought this movie was going to cause riots. Like, mm-hmm. it, it does not glorify. Everyone's very unhappy at the end. That no one's like feeling great about the riot well, that happened. I, mean, I, I, I don't. If if they think it's going to incite riots, I don't think they understand no. the point of the quotes or the movie, point of the yeah. picture. Um. Bonnie and Clyde, um, because Bonnie and Clyde was extremely violent for its time. We talked about that in mm-hmm. Bonnie and Clyde. Um, cannibal Holocaust, which, sure. Um, sure. A lowly 20. At 20, um, you know, pretty graphic. Um, basic instinct. Trying for the, <laughs> Triumph Triumph of the, of the will is number 15. I know. <laughs> oh no yeah, wait um, oh, oh my god this list is fucking bananas um <laughs> wait 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 i want to read what it says about the controversy um while intellectuals still ponder the still ponder the ethics of admiring so ponder a the ethics <laughs> people people have questions about uh but do you know what's nick looks like he's about to die well because you guys know what's uh too two points slightly more controversial than triumph of the will is <laughs> the da vinci code, da vinci code. <laughs> yeah no yeah oh it's like besides like, lenny reifenstahl who is the most controversial directors out there ron, ron howard, howard. Ron howard. <laughs> no, without a doubt oh god <laughs> you know the deer hunter um the message yeah. which sure um yeah. that's pretty controversial um, and then this, um, this le- top next page 10, is loading. This top 10, um, Baby Doll, which apparently is just controversial because of, like, infidelity. I have not seen that movie. Okay, Last Tango in Paris at number nine, <laughs> which I know this list is from 2007, but here's what it says about the controversy. Oh, no. Critics and audiences were sharply divided over this X-rated erotic psychodrama. The film Stark, as in Naked, depiction of loveless animalistic carnality horrified some and landed its director and stars in an Italian court on obscenity charges. That's not what's controversial about Last Tango in Paris. A woman yeah. is sexually assaulted on screen. Like, I... Yeah, no, no, it's just, it's just I... loveless. <sighs> this may have been written before. I was going to say, uh, 2007, that maybe the, the, that story was not out or well-known particularly, yeah. but yeesh. Um, Nick's all-time favorite killers. movie. Natural Born Killers, sure. Birth of a Nation, sitting at number seven, by yeah, the way. Because sure. um, what's more controversial than depicting Jesus? Siding with the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. Well, you say that, and yet... <laughs> I know. We, we have two two Jesus movies coming up ahead of Birth of I, I I was sure these were <laughs> up here. I haven't seen what five through one is yet, so I'm going to five JFK, okay. Four is Deep Throat, okay. Three is Fahrenheit 9-11. Which, I guess if you're measuring by, like, the amount of controversy it caused at release, sure. Like, that movie mm-hmm. caused a lot of controversy when it came out, but, like, Fahrenheit 9-11 is so, like, banal. Basic. <laughs> like, watch it now. It's like, what? Um, Clockwork, Clockwork Orange, Orange is number two. Okay, so now we're going to get my live reaction to number one because you two have it. Oh, it's. I have to go to the next page. What a oh, shitty yeah. list. Get those clicks. Oh, Passion of the Christ. Okay, yeah. whatever. This is fucking stupid. Yeah. Not, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to take you on that journey, but as I was doing research for this and I saw, I was so excited to see that Do the Right Thing was on a on a list of controversial movies. <laughs> and I was like, got to get into it. Got to see. 
Oh my so god. We've, so we've covered two of them, um, Bonnie and Clyde and Do the Right Thing. I don't think any of these other movies we're going to cover. I think that's yeah. it for us. Um, yeah. Uncontroversial movies. Um, did I have any other? Oh, one thing I, I want to, uh, this is not sponsored content, but I know that all three of us have um, Apple TV Plus now because mm-hmm. we wanted to watch Wolf Walkers and On the Rocks and Ted Lasso. Um, so they, they got us with all of those. There is a little docu-series on Apple TV called Deer, like dot, dot, dot. And it's all about different um, inspirational type figures and people who write them letters and talk about how they've influenced their lives. And the very first one is Deer Spike Lee. And so it's 30 oh, minutes. Oh, wow. Um, I recommend it. It's really cool. Um, it t- focuses on She's Gotta Have It, School Days, Do the Right Thing, and Malcolm X. And it has, like, four different individuals who these movies change their lives, and they write letters to Spike, and then he reads them and talks about That's the movie. So cool. These people talk about the influence on their lives. Um, oh, and also, and also, He Got Game is also one of the ones. It's, there's five of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I recommend that if you, if you spend some money on <laughs> Apple TV Plus to get, you know, one thing. Um, might as well check that out uh, mm-hmm. while you have it. So... That's about. Do you have any other notes that we have not? I, I have a quick note, but first I want to mention um, uh, reference number twenty three on the Wikipedia page. Do the right thing with Sean Fennessy and Sean Fennessy and Wesley Morris on the Ringer's Big Picture show. Okay. So, <laughs> there you go. Big Pick is now being referenced on, on on Wikipedia. Yeah, that's very cool. Good for them. That's funny. Um. You could aspire to be referenced on a Wikipedia page. Yeah, that's my goal. <laughs> there, there was two more notes I had um, from the commentary track that I listened to. The first one is uh, they don't really like Robert Zemeckis, Ernest <laughs> Dickerson, and Spike Lee. Um, they complained a lot about uh, how it seems like in Robert Zemeckis' white man's world, um, every great thing that black people did came from white people. As in, it's, a, it's an unfortunate through line. Um. Yeah, the the um, the duck walk it's that Chuck co- Berry did is from Michael J. Fox. So and it's your cousin Marvin Berry. Um, it's uh, not yeah. not great in Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, it's uh, in Forrest Gump. Elvis learns the knee break dance from a little kid named after yeah. a Ku Klux Klan member. Then. Um, it's the black too- artist he stole from. Right. And I think, I mean, I don't know Robert Zemeckis, Bobby Z himself. Um, but yeah. I think it's just Bobby very emblematic. <laughs> I think it's very emblematic of just like, it would never occur to him. You know, it, he's yeah, just the kind really of older wouldn't. boomer guy mm-hmm. who like, not like he's out here consciously trying to diminish the accomplishments of black Americans. No. It doesn't occur to him that that, why, why would that be a problem? You know, it's, it's that attitude of guys that age, I think. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't blame Spike Lee for <laughs> being eye-rolly about and it. And I, I think it's funny because um, with, the, with the Forrest Gump thing is uh, one of the big lines in Fight the Power is Elvis is a oh, racist Elvis. Sucker, but he don't mean shit to yeah. me. Yeah, so slight overlap with the the main light motif. <laughs> um, I will of the movie. say, Dylan, did, so not to get us wildly off track when we're two hours in, but um, did, so it didn't win you over at all. In um, uh, spoiler alert for I'm thinking of ending things, uh, that it makes fun of Robert Zemeckis. Oh, when they shit on. <laughs> yeah, that, that I'm that thinking of ending things. I, I laugh too. Has an entire joke that shits on Robert. Get you like a little bit on uh, on Charlie Kaufman's side. Yeah. <laughs> 
have to at least appreciate that. If, if Robert Zemeckis is one end of the scale of what I don't like, Charlie Kaufman is the other say, scale of what I don't like. Yeah, they, they don't really have anything in common other than, like... <laughs> your interest in their um yeah. films basically and, and to be fair again they've both made great films roger rabbit is one of the great american movies of the 80s i was chatted that out when we roger spoke. rabbit's so good yeah. in general uh not yeah. my thing um the other Fair thing enough. was ernest dickerson brought up i think five times a single cinematographer he was inspired by from a single director's work can you guess what inspired him the most when he was making this movie. Wait, say that one more time. Uh, Ernest Dickerson, the cinematographer, was mm. inspired specifically, like, multiple times, just referenced this one cinematographer, specifically because they worked with one director. I don't know. It's very close to my heart, so I really liked it. Um, it was Jack Cardiff in his work with the Archers, mm. and specifically the way he would shoot color. And he was like, I want to shoot color like Jack Cardiff does with the Archers, specifically stuff like Red Shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's why he tried to imbue so much of the color that they went through the production design, through Ruby D and the costume design. And he's like, this is what I wanted to bring out. I wanted to bring back Jack Cardiff to be able to represent the sort of colors I wanted in this work and the way the Archers used to. Which... Mm-hmm. Being the biggest freaking Archers fan was just the best, the best thing. I couldn't have been happy to hear something. Um, so yeah, that's all my notes. We have. Do you have anything, Nick? Did we cover everything? No, I think we got everything. I think we got it all. Sure, we were, we're at two hours and six minutes, which Woo! makes it um, our longest single movie podcast. I is think, it really? Wow. I think the longest up until now is four hundred blows, actually, which is just over two hours. But then Opera Trilogy and Decalogue are crazy. I know. What the hell were you doing during the 400 blows? I don't know. I'm like, hey, rules. <laughs> I, I, I know it rules, but Nick, it's only like an hour and 30 minutes. What were we doing? Yeah, this movie is Man, a solid it, two plus. It, Antoine Duanel's been through some shit. Okay? <laughs> That's true. He, he went through some stuff. Um, this movie could oh. have used a freeze frame ending, you think? What, what if Do the Right Thing it ended on like a freeze oh. frame of Mookie just like walking towards the camera? <laughs> <laughs> if only. <laughs> that would have been, um, yeah. Uh. I, I do actually have one more thing, which is just, uh, we talk about some of the music in Fight the Power, but just mm-hmm. the songs they use throughout the movie are insanely good. Mm-hmm. And specifically, I think Can't Stand It by Steel Pulse. Well, during yeah, the um, that's when it yeah that's one of my favorite parts. That's of the, the movie best needle drop. Yeah, Ugh, it's good. Yeah. Oh, so oh, the only other note I had since you brought up the music is, and I, I mentioned it in the intro that the the compo- composer for this film was Bill Lee, Spike Lee's father. Yeah. Which talk about a journey of a Wikipedia page. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Spike Lee's father or their relationship or his life, um, but he was a musician, obviously. Um, he was the composer for Spike's first four films, I think. He he was a composer up through Mo Betta Blues. Um, and then him and Spike had a falling out and stopped speaking. And I don't know. He's still alive. He's like 92. Oh, um, but basically, they originally had a falling out because when um, Spike was younger, his mother died of cancer. And apparently his dad like moved a new woman into the house really quickly. And it was a white woman. Um, and Spike was not super thrilled about that. Um, and then later on, when, when he made Jungle Fever, um, his dad took it personally <laughs> about the representation of interracial <laughs> relationships in that. 
1991, his dad was arrested for heroin possession. And um, Spike basically cut him off at that point. And so that was the end of their working relationship. Um, oh, another I- thing um, real quickly that Spike mentioned in the commentary track was he got a lot of white critics talking to him, um, mm. saying like he didn't make an accurate depiction of a black neighborhood oh. in this movie because, oh, because there were no drugs. Because there was no drugs. And it's just yes. like, I cannot imagine hearing that and not just punching that person in the face. In the, right. One of yeah. the one of the bonus features from the Criterion is um, a panel from Cam, mm-hmm. and somebody asks him like. I don't find this very realistic because you didn't show any drugs. And he's like, that's because when you think of black people, all you think about is drugs. Yeah. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's on you. Right. Like, he's what like, is wrong with you? you this movie's movie? not about drugs. It's about racism. Yeah. So he answers that question. They give the camera or they give the mic to another person. They give it to a white woman who who then goes, you know, I agree with that last guy. Oh you should have shown people. And oh, like, my oh, God. My God. <laughs> like, is that lady serious? Like, what a nightmare. You are tempting fate. I was going to say, that's it's. Almost the f- gutsy if it weren't so horrifying. <laughs> like the, the f- like the first one was bad. The second one. I'm gonna oh double boy. down on that uh, <laughs> response. Um, yikes! 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 Um, yeah, um, I will say though, one of my favorite things about um, Spike Lee's later films are his Terrence Blanchard scores. So I'm very happy <laughs> that he ended up uh, working with Terrence Blanchard. His dad, I guess, is better now. I mean, he's 90 something, so he's he's hanging in. There. I hope yeah. he and Spike um, have. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they've ever reconciled so. or not. Um, it, it looks like he stopped giving interviews in like the '90s. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a, that was one of those real. Oh, cool! His dad. I click on the Wikipedia page. And it was like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keeps happening to me. Um, so yeah, I think that was my last note. Um, I guess we gotta find out um, uh, everybody's thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> and we need to do Ebert movie. quotes. Oh, Ebert quotes. Yes. I yeah. remember this whole essay point is so to... long. I always forget. Yeah, I did mine already. I always forget the yeah. conceit of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we got a... Uh, so one of us has to read the f- opening paragraph and the final paragraph. Because it's sure. some, of, some of Ebert's best writing. Sure. Um, yeah, they are. But I, I have those sections highlighted. Um in particular, I will say, um, in the, well, the first, like the first sentence, he the first sentence he writes is, "I have only been gi- I have only been given a few film going experiences in my life to equal the first time I saw Do the Right Thing. Most movies remain up there on the screen. Only a few penetrate your soul." Um, which, yeah, that's that yeah. is good stuff. And then he goes on to say that uh, he. Spike Lee had done the impossible thing. He'd made a movie about race in America that empathized with all participants. He didn't draw lines, take sides, but simply looked with sadness at one racial flashpoint that stood for many others. Mm-hmm. That, what a, what a, he's such a good writer mm-hmm. <laughs> when he's not talking about women's clothing or yeah. bodies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is, this is a good, this is a good essay. Um, uh, I also do like the fi- the very final section talking about the film where he says um those who found this film an incitement to violence are saying much more yeah. about themselves and nothing useful about the movie its predominant emotion is sadness lee ends mm-hmm. with two quotations one from martin luther king advocating nonviolence, and the other from malcolm x advocating violence if necessary <laughs> a third from rodney king ran through my mind um why can't we all just get along mm-hmm. um yeah, and I think the beautiful thing is it doesn't really take a side. Both yeah. are right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. Yep. Just depends. Um, yeah. Good movie. Good, good movie. Yeah, I like, and I saw um, Ebert. I think I clicked away from it again. He de- he and um, Siskel and Ebert both have this as their number one movie of um, the year of '89. Legends. Um, and they each ranked it as one of the top, and and Ebert had it as the the number four movie of number the decade. Um, what well, what were the three above it? Do you know? Let's see. Oh, that's a YouTube. Uh, Raging Bull. I was like, I that's would, a YouTube uh, video. Oh. So I'm probably unless someone. Wait, is Raging Bull? Eighties. I think it's yeah. 80. Raging Bull is eighties. Yeah, it's eighty or eighty. And, that, and that's a that's a, like that's a very solid movie, but it was never one of my favorite Scorsese movies. I will see it eventually. I, we will see it because it's in the Ebert book, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what... I think that's a top ten of his, if I remember mm. correctly. Yeah. Um. Do you know if yeah, he ever put do the Raging right- Bull right stuff in E.T.? Oh, mm. good movies. Well, I really like the right stuff. Yeah. We get to E.T. soon, too. We will get to E.T. soon. Maybe I'll love E.T. this time. You know, anything's possible. Do you not like E.T.? It's okay. You'll love it's it. It's not this bad. Time. I, I, saw, I saw it recently. I, I just, it wasn't one of the movies that I watched as a kid, so I have, like, no emotional connection to it. Oh, and my I'm just, God, really? Yeah. I have, I have many emotional connections to watching E.T. as a kid, but they're not positive they're all rooted well see that yeah they're all rooted in pure terror i didn't watch it as a kid because i thought it looked scary so (laughs) i just i just fair enough man yeah we'll talk about that i watched it recently at an outdoor big screening thing and i was like this is pretty intense um anyway the whole et tangent yeah we will get there um stars stars out of four Dylan? Four. Nick? No. Yeah. Four. 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 Yeah. No no complaints, really. I mean, not, incredibly minor complaints that do not um, really take away in any substantial way from my opinion of this film. Yeah. All right. So that has been Do the Right Thing. Good movie. Um, thank you so much to everybody for joining us this week. Hope you join us next week when we will be discussing the 1944 film Double Indemnity. No, we're um, not. Ooh, but first, nope. yeah. What's before for Double Indemnity? Oh, uh, season finale. We're wrapping up. Finale. Yeah, we're oh wrapping my up. god, <laughs> guys! The I, most, ex- most anticipated time of the year. Oh my god, it's our season finale. This is our. So that means this was our 30th. Our final film that we've talked about. No, it's 27th. 27th. We, we do do groups of nine. Oh, and make the 10th up. I know how this podcast works. <laughs> Hey, yay. Um, all right. This is very exciting. So we will do next episode will be our finale where we will recap the last nine movies we talked about and hand out some awards. Um, and then we'll and do talk about indemnity. and talk about one of Ebert's most hated movies that we have not decided what it is yet. No, Nick, I made a, Nick, Nick made a pick. Are we doing a de- uh, death race? Death race. That was Oh, it. God. We landed yeah, on death the, race. The, the Carradine movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, where can which which Carradine is it? Is it Keith Carradine? Uh, I, th- I don't know. There's a lot of Carradines out there. I think it's David. Is it David okay? Don't That's quote Bill. me. We'll find out soon. <laughs> we're, oh, we're, no. I was thinking there was a Bill Carradine for a second. Oh, sorry. No. It is it, it is David Carradine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I meant um, uh, Bill as in yeah. Bill. Kill Bill. As in the Bill who is killed. Um, does anyone know where people can watch Death Race? I'm looking at it. Uh, it looks like it's on Canopy. Oh, okay. Great. Cool. Um, so check that out. 
Um, and yeah, that is it. I clicked away from my closing notes. Next week's our season finale. Uh, look forward to it. Until that time, you can follow us on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Great Movies Pod. We want to thank, as always, our friend Scott Brady for our artwork. You can follow him on Twitter at SBradyArtist. And that is finally it for this week. Roger out. Roger out. Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.